get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bergeron, like there, there's a guy that can play a game and have zeros right across the board and be the most effective player. That's where that's where a guy like Bucci, we need to see if he can get to, which is being a dominant player when the puck's not going for you. And that's a mindset. That That's willing to go from potentially an 85-point player to a 70-point player and see that being a good thing, not a bad thing. And that's a maturity level, and that's where I think Booch is at now, and I think I think he's excited about that. Whether it's at the middle of the ice or the wing, a lot will be predicated on what we do, and I and certainly I got to sit with the coach and get his vision of, of how it works out. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, it's good to be back in with you here on BK and Ferrario. That voice you just heard was Doug Armstrong heading into the offseason talking about Pavel Buchnevich as a potential centerman for the St. Louis Blues. And Alex, that is what we are expecting to see tonight. The Blues have made some significant changes to the lineup. They've got Jake Neighbors on the top line, continuing his trend of being with Robert Thomas. They have reunited, though, Robert Thomas with Jordan Cairo. So it'll be Neighbors, Thomas, Cairo as your top line. That's where things get weird. Saad Buchnevich. What? And Kapanen. Hayes, Shin, and Sonny is your third line. Three guys that have previously played center for the Blues, all going to be on the same line together. And then your fourth line heading into tonight is expected to be Torpchenko, McGing, and Blay. So that's where we're at right now. Alex, I can't believe we're back here. I cannot believe it. One of the top priorities for the Blues in the offseason was we got to find a centerman because we can't do this thing with Pavel Buchnevich long-term. That can't be our real answer at center. Well, they did it. They went out. They got Kevin Hayes. They got Oscar Sundquist. Both of those players are playing in your top nine tonight. You do not have significant injuries. None of your other centermen are hurt. And yet... Despite all of those things I just said being true, we are back to Pavel Buchnevich playing center despite his, what, 33% face-off percentage a year ago. I love Pavel Buchnevich. I think he's a really good player. I don't think he's a centerman long-term. I understand that they're just trying to find anything that will work for them right now. I don't love this, man. I'm not going to lie to you. It signals to me a lot of desperation with where the Blues are at today. I mean, this signals to me that they're very unhappy with all of their wingers. I mean, Torpchenko has, is not a top nine winger. We know that. Sammy Blade, the same can be said there. Uh, Oscar Sundquist, they're trying to get the most out of. I think that's a sign to all of the wingers that nobody's really playing the responsible side of it. And they're trying to get two guys, Sod and Kapanen, going who haven't had the best few games probably about a week 
to me, this is less about Buchnevich and more about Jordan Cairo. I think this is Craig Berube looking at Jordan Cairo and saying, we need your offense and we can't keep trying to make it work with Kevin Hayes or Braden Shan. It's not working right there. So we need you to go play with Robert Thomas and be the $8 million guy that you are. Buchnevich at center, it wasn't pretty on the faceoff dot. He at least created offense last season. He played a lot with Verona and Kapanen, some with Blay and Kapanen. So I, I think you're doing this because you need some responsibility down the middle and Hayes has been working well with Shen. This to me signals more of their problems with the wing, which coming into the season, we thought this was going to be it. You failed with Verona. It hasn't worked with Kapanen. Saad has not been the guy you thought he was and you need Kairou to be the offense. So hence we got to move Buchnevich to center. Yeah, I, I thought it was very telling when you saw this, that it was just kind of the red alarm bells going off is like they sense that this is starting to get away from them this year. Starting? All right, has gotten away from them this year. The train uh, was on the tracks, and then the tracks were removed from being in front of the train, and we are now all the way into the wilderness, man. We are like a month, what, 30, 40, what, how many games have we played at this point? 27. Track. Yeah, 27 games into the season, and Pavel Buchnevich is starting at center again. 27 games? That's all it took? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't think it's that. I, I think it's... You don't think this is alarming? No, I don't. I, I think it's more alarming for the wingers than anything. I, I, they have you, three centers on the same line. You Exactly. But you know that Buchnevich has worked with Thomas and Neighbors. You need Jordan Cairo to start producing offensively. So if it was only about Cairo, then why isn't Buchnevich playing winger? Because Hayes and Shen have not worked as the second line center. Correct. So it's not just about Cairo. It's also about the centers that you've added that are here long term that also can't be top six. Yeah, but Hayes forward. was never supposed to be a top six forward for you. Well, Nor was, was Braden Shen. Then who was? If it wasn't one of those two, then what was the plan? Welcome to you're still searching for that. I don't think, I mean, Shay's, Shen was supposed to be the second line wing or center for you, and that has not worked at all. But That's Shen has played contracts play, for like four years. Again, man. this is more about the wingers than the centermen. Shen has played with Saad, he's played with Kapanen, he's played with Kairou, and nobody I is producing. I cannot agree with that. If it was That's just. fine, a- but that, that this is what it's been. Shen has not worked with the wingers he's played with. And Hayes has been on the third line, and that hasn't really worked. They've worked together, but now you need somebody else who can start bringing the best out of these wingers, and that's what they're trying to accomplish Again, with Booch. I like it is what it is. I understand why they're doing this. I'm not blaming Craig Berube. I'm not saying he's wrong for doing so. Man, put all of the names into a hat and draw them, and in the order that you select them, play them in that spot in the order. Is Verona going to be in the head or no? Uh, he's off to the oh. side. Just he's ineligible sure. to be plucked out of this okay. hat, unfortunately. I don't for even him. think he was at the arena today. But he wasn't. <laughs> that that is less my problem. The problem is the the immediacy and the long term of it. You you have guys on your roster right now, Kevin Hayes specifically, that was brought in to be a center. He was brought here because the plan was the stated goal from day one of the offseason, we need a middle six center. Not middle six forward, a middle six center. And he's now been playing wing almost exclusively for a hot minute now. That's not good, man. That does not speak highly to the move that you made in the offseason to bring Kevin Hayes in. Now, he's not been a total failure. Like, he's played mostly fine. He's played like a $3.5 million forward. 
but he wasn't supposed to be brought in to be a three and a half million dollar forward. He was brought in to be a three and a half million dollar center. And instead of him playing center, instead of Sonny playing center, they are now going back to the guy that last year they tried this out for the final month or two of the season and decided based on what they saw from him, our number one priority has to be going out and finding a new center so that way we don't have to play this guy there any longer. So, yeah, I think it is red alarm bells. I think it is highly, highly concerning that their guys that they wanted to play that position are no longer playing there any longer. And that to me is a, a really big deal that we are already there less than 30 games into the season. Yeah, I think your coach has thrown his hands up and said, we've got to figure something out for our middle six because there's, it's not even the offense as it's the defense and defensively you, I mean, the best line both games against Columbus and Chicago was Thomas Neighbors and Buchnevich. The second, third, fourth line were all defensive liabilities, causing odd man rushes the other way, no offense from it. You're throwing your hands up right now and saying, look, Barubi goes in pairs and he starts to pair people off and say who works well together. Shannon Hayes worked well together when they were playing with Jordan Cairo. Thomas and Neighbors worked well together when they were playing with Buchnevich. Now we're trying to figure out what these other pairs are. And yeah, that is a problem. I think this is Big more one. a problem for these guys that you were hoping are going to be a part of the solution guys like Brandon saw that you needed to be a top six winger and hasn't been that yet Kapanen, and who you claimed off of waivers and have not been that yet. And frankly, it says a lot about Blay and Toropchenko that both were given top nine opportunities and none of them outplayed for the position over Oscar Sundquist. Yeah, I mean, both of them are, should have and always were expected to be fourth line players. They're asking them to be more. We said it from day one, man. Like they just they're not top nine forwards. And that's fine. They can do it in a pinch, but they can't do it yeah. over 82 games. They're, they're not guys that you want in the top nine. Uh, frankly, Oscar Sundquist isn't a guy that I want in my top nine. But if he's if he's got to do it, he's got to do it. It is what it is. That fine. was the McGing move that was surprising to me because Gaudette could have been the guy that's playing in that third line role at least provide some offense and then you could keep that fourth line together but sure they obviously like McGing for a fourth line centerman role again fine I, I don't none of this stuff really gets me all that hot and bothered for the immediacy I this year is what it is and it's why I said a couple of weeks ago I got roasted for it but I said I don't have a lot of emotional connection to this team and I couldn't figure out why because at the time they were winning which should have meant that I feel excited to watch them on a night in night out basis. So, but I didn't, I had no connection to them. And then over the weekend I saw why I was reminded, Oh yeah, this is still the same team. Like it's the same issues that we've been talking about. There's just, I, I enjoy watching this year, Jordan Bennington when he's on, I think Jake neighbors has been a super fun storyline for this team, but otherwise like, it's just a whole lot of blah for me on a night in night out basis to watch them. And what this lineup signifies to me is that the Blues kind of feel the same way about their team that I do. Like they are looking at this and saying what we did in the offseason has not worked. They feel about their center solutions the way that the Cardinals did about what they did in the rotation. Cardinals knew they needed pitching. They're like, ah, oh, we're going to bet on this stuff. We're going to hope that these spare parts, it's all going to work out for this. It didn't. Uh -oh. It failed. And we knew very quickly that it had failed on them. Well, we have learned very quickly that what their plan was up the middle which is a pretty big deal, failed. It failed. Now what they did at wing also failed. They clearly didn't make it work, and I think it was more on Verona than them, but it didn't work with Jakub Verona. Kapanen, I think, has mostly been fine. I think he's been what you expected him to be, which is like a third-line winger, but you're asking him to be a top-six winger. 
My biggest issue with the offseason build is that you have guys up the middle that are on long-term contracts. It's not a one-year deal for Kevin Hayes. It's not a one-year deal for Braden Shin. It's not a one-year deal for Robert Thomas. And I think maybe you have one top six center among them. Maybe. And otherwise, you've got a bunch of guys that you expect to be on your third line for the foreseeable future. That, to me, is part of what this move signifies. And it is a concern long-term that that's the case for you, in my opinion. I understand if people disagree with that. I'm with you on that because this is, when you look at them, Shen needed to be the guy that was playing that second line center, at least until you could exit the retool and until like someone like a Dvorsky was ready to go that could play center potentially there. And in fact, now you have, I think we mentioned this yesterday, Alex, they have maybe four guys that belong into a top six and three of those guys are here in the long term. One of them is going to be a pending UFA at the end of next season. What do you do with him? And look, maybe they can go out and they can fix this all in free agency in a cut as the years go by in this retool. But they have a lot of guys underperforming, and that's not a good sign for guys that are on long-term contracts. It wouldn't surprise me mid-game tonight if one of Shen or Hayes shifts up to that that second-line centerman spot. I think they really are going to see if Booch can be better in the face-off dot. But I think right now you're at a point where you know Thomas's role, you know Neighbors' role, you know a Torepchenko and a Sammy Blaze role, and then everything else is the muddied middle. And this is the hard part of the retool to where you want roles defined immediately, and they probably thought those roles were defined. But I just I fall back into the camp of the centerman's role has been shifted dramatically because these wingers have not been what they were hoping for, and now you just got to start putting guys together to see if you could build any chemistry. Yeah, I just wish that they would have found somebody to be that second-line center. Um, and if it wasn't going to be Kevin Hayes, if we were willing to kind of move on from that idea less than a month into the season, basically then you probably weren't all that tied to it to begin with. And him being on a three-year deal, it's not something that I necessarily would have been super excited yeah, that about. Decision Ross makes Colton, the, good game last night, by the way. That, good game for Ross Colton That decision night. makes Ryan O'Reilly decision look rough also because O'Reilly, of course, has been looking really good for the Nashville Predators. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford. I want to pick his brain on this. What does he think about Pavel Buchnevich getting back to his center position here this early in the season? We'll talk to JR about it coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next... T-Bone thinks the Cardinals might have learned the wrong lessons about their bullpen. Why is that? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I do like our uh, the back end. Um, obviously, we had injuries last year, which which makes that a challenge. I think we had a couple guys adapting to the pitch clock too. So I think they'll be better situated as we look at 2024. But I I wouldn't be surprised if we do a few things in the bullpen between now and uh, uh, spring training. So, you know, certainly uh, if we can add something to that, we think that would be smart. That was John Mozela a couple of weeks ago talking about the Cardinals plan to add in the bullpen. In 10 minutes, we'll be discussing the Blues situation at center with Jeremy Rutherford. Stay tuned for that with Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. But I do want to get into this a little bit, Alex, because over the weekend, the Cardinals did make a move trading Tyler O'Neill to the Boston Red Sox. And in return, the real prize of this was Nick Robertson, a reliever from Boston that's coming here to St. Louis, and he's expected to be a part of the Cardinals' bullpen in 2024. And this continues the trend of how they've started out the offseason, adding to the pen. They add Ryan Fernandez. They add Nick Robertson. They add Riley O'Brien. If you've never heard of any of these players, I don't blame you. 
They're not household names by any stretch of the imagination. And those are the three pieces so far that the Cardinals have added to their bullpen for this upcoming year. They're all interesting in their own right. Ryan Fernandez had a cutter that had a 40% whiff rate last year. His four-seamer is averaging more than 96 miles per hour. It's the kind of profile that is compelling to find out what he can do for your bullpen. But there is very little certainty there. We have no idea if he's going to be good in the big leagues or not. Nick Robertson, 37% whiff rate last year on his uh, changeup. Really nice. You like to see that. He's got a pitch that seems to work. The problem, it got crushed by lefties last year in the big leagues, and you have no idea if there's going to be any sort of consistency with that pitch. He also has 95th percentile extension, Alex, which might sound Ooh. like some googly gop type of a stat. Basically, that means he's getting more extension on the ball, which means that even with his velocity, which is like 95 miles an hour, it looks even faster than that because of how far he is extending before he releases the baseball. So a little bit of something there. Riley O'Brien had the highest strikeout rate last year in the Pacific Coast League. Now, all of this is fun, exciting, interesting for somebody like me. That's a numbers nerd that looks at this and they're like, okay, I kind of see how that can come together. But if you're a casual baseball fan, you're just a Cardinals fan and you want to watch the team, you want to see him win. I don't know that this does a whole lot for you. So they still need to add to the bullpen. And T-Bone, you said something interesting before the show today. You said, you think the Cardinals might be learning the wrong lessons from this past season about the pin. Why is that? Well, I keep hearing in reporting from people that cover the Cardinals and do a great job. They keep saying, you know, they're looking for depth in the pin, depth in the pin. Look, they do need it. They need Last year, one of the issues they did have was they did have a lack of a, what would you call it, a carousel from AAA to the majors. You know, they didn't have that that group of guys that could bring up and down between AAA and the major leagues. The Memphis so shuttle didn't exist. The Memphis shuttle didn't exist. And they, they've done a decent job of adding that so far with those names that you just said. Again, those are moves that don't win in offseason. Normally, these kind of moves don't win in offseason and aren't known, but they're talked about in September when you hear the story of, hey, well, they got this guy in the Rule 5 pick. Oh, really? I never heard of him until this year. Those are fine moves. But now they need to start getting the serious, we know what we're getting, and we're getting a back-end, lights-out bullpen arm, and they need two of them. They need to go into this offseason and finish this offseason by getting two guys that can slot right up there with the Giovanni Gallegos. And they don't have to be the big-name guys. They don't have to be the Josh Hader, Jordan Hicks types. There are guys in that 5 to $7 million range, like a Phil Maton, that fit into that conversation. What they don't need is the Chris Stratton type reliever, where they're going to say, well, this guy, this is this is him. He provides depth to the bullpen. He's got a rubber arm. He could throw 80 innings this year for us out of the bullpen. You don't need any of those guys. That That's the lesson that I fear that they're going to go with was the bullpen had its issues last year, but that was because we didn't have any depth to the bullpen, even though they blew a crap ton of saves. I think they need to go out there and they need to be getting guys that have legitimate stuff that can slot into the back portion of the bullpen because I have serious questions about Giovanni Gallegos. I have serious questions about what JoJo Romero is going to bring this year. You need to get probably two relievers that slot into that to where if Gio bounces back and JoJo is the guy that you saw in the second half, now you have that bullpen that can play not just in the regular season but play in the postseason with five guys with swing and miss that can just come out of a bullpen and I can go, oh, crap, here comes Phil Maton out of the pen. Hmm. Oh, crap, here comes this reliever that's going to just shut things down. They need those kind of guys. They don't need the depth move because I think they've got plenty of those guys right now. I, I, I'm i not even greedy to need two of them. Just give me one of them. And uh, 
the the name recognition of course would be great i just want somebody who can i who i can use in a save situation because i have one guy right now that i trust in a save situation and it's ryan helsley i don't trust gallegos i don't trust jojo and i don't trust any of these other guys that you're trying to sell us on that they're going to be arms we can rely on i I think you've got depth i like the swing and miss stuff for these guys that you've acquired i think the upside is there in terms of somebody you can use in the middle innings and you could get some swing and miss you've got strikeout stuff Uh, but you need to get and for me it's just one you need to get one person that you look at and you say if helsley gets hurt we go to him for saves and i don't think you have that guy i think that's where i'm at too i i would be okay with it just being one arm and the reason why is because i think right now you have four players in your bullpen that are guaranteed to be on the roster barring something unforeseen for most of the season Helsley, Gio, Jojo, and Fernandez. I think those are the four guys. The guys that I think are currently a part of the Memphis Shuttle. These guys all have options available to them going into 2024. Palante, Thompson, King, Robertson, uh, Liberatore, Graceffo. Maybe you could throw some more of the young arms in there if you want to. We'll get into that conversation a little further here in a second. But those guys, that's six pitchers that I just mentioned for three spots in your uh, bullpen if you add one more free agency reliever, because what happens when you add that guy via free agency is you cannot send him up and down in the Memphis shuttle. So that occupies one more of those spots And T-Bone. You said you think that's a lesson they learned a little bit too much last year. I think they learned it the exact right amount. I don't want the entirety of the bullpen to be the Memphis shuttle, right? Then you have too little certainty at the back end of your pen. I do think you need two to three spots, though, that you can utilize that way. I think you need six, seven, eight different relievers that can occupy those spots on your roster. So that way you've always got a fresh arm to come in. If you have a game where starter goes four innings and you need Palante to go out there and give you three, you need Thompson to go out there and give you three, you need one of these other, maybe it's Graceffo, Liberatore, whoever, go out there, give you three. The next day, send him down. It sucks. It's the nature of the business, man. And it's something that this team last year, they were so depleted when it came to the spots that were available to them to send guys up and down. They almost had to keep that guy on the roster the next day. So now you're even lighter in your bullpen. So I think that they learned somewhat the right lesson there. Now becomes the question of what do you go do with that that spot that you can get the free agency arm? Are you going to get a Phil Mates on? Are you going to get a Jordan Hicks? What is the kind of reliever that you're going to be targeting there? I kind of like the way that they've been attacking it so far. I like attacking it with numbers, but now you got to get the certainty. So far, you've added upside. Now you have to add somebody that you can fit into that sixth, seventh, eighth, really seventh, eighth, or ninth inning mix, and you feel very confident they're going to get the job yeah, done. The the I think you in the bullpen. I think you get what eight guys in the bullpen if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Now um, you need four guys that are really locked in on those contracts that you're talking about, and to me, that are the four high leverage relievers. And that's Helsley, Geo, Jojo, and whoever they sign in free agency. And to me, Jojo's not in that conversation. Okay. To me, it is. Uh, he options next year is part of the problem, though. And I, again, like he's going to have to come out and show it and prove it. And honestly, I'd be fine. Like uh, to me, you should operate, especially with a bullpen arm. You should operate on. Yeah, let's not plan on him being that guy. And maybe we have to try and do what we just. Where maybe they end up having to trade him or without options, try and send him through. See if nobody claims him. See if he can do that. I don't. He'd probably get picked up For though. Sure. But I would operate on the assumption that he's not that guy. Him or Geo. And I know the Geo doesn't have options either. But I would lock into place four guys that are legitimate, just swing and miss stuff that I trust. And I, I, the reason I just don't trust JoJo is we're going off of a second half. Um, 
I, I think the issue they had last year was, because you're right, they do need that Memphis shuttle. The issue they had last year was a lot of the guys that they had locked into place were those middle relievers like Drew Verhagen, Chris Stratton. Like Those kind of roles should not be locked up. And my fear is that they're going to go into the offseason and they're not going to add two legitimate back-end arms and they're going to operate with, a, well, you know, let, let's bring back a Stratton. We need a guy that's going to provide depth into the bullpen. No, that's where the issue was last year was, yes, they had guys locked into place, but they had the wrong guys locked into place. They didn't have the option guys in the middle relief. They had the Strattons and Verhagens that were locked in, yeah. and then you really limit yourself in the back end of the bullpen. That's what I hope that they learn from this past year. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys want to get involved in the show, we'll get some of your questions coming up in about fifteen minutes or so for questions and answers. But coming up next, we're going out to the one hundred one ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. I've got some questions for him about how. He he views the team's move to put Pavel Buchnevich back at center. We'll ask JR about that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. News, notes, and nuggets. It's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor. Okay, let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford. He's the Blues Insider at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. He joins us here on the show each and every Tuesday. We always appreciate him doing so. JR, let's get right into this thing, man. Blues made some significant changes to their lineup heading into the game tonight. Looks like we are going to see Pavel Buchnevich back at center again. I believe this is the first time he started a game at center so far this year. What would you make of the move? Yeah, get your pencil out. If you're one who does a lineup card, uh, you got a lot of changes to make tonight with this uh, forward group. This is the first time that you'll see Pavel Buchnevich start a game at center this year. And In terms of what do I think about the move, I think the Blues had to do something. You've lost uh, three in a row, and you have a situation What the goal against Chicago over the weekend was uh, a, your only goal was a shorthanded goal. The, the vaunted uh, the penalty kill continues to produce, but not this <laughs> offense. And and so uh, you've got to do something here. And I think they wanted to get Thomas and Cairo back together. It's been a while since uh, they've played. You can't take neighbors off that top line. It'll be interesting to watch those three. And then what do you have left? So they've decided to go back to Buchnevich at center. You know, to me, you know, you look at last year, Craig Burby referenced that today. Uh, if it would have worked last year, they would have came back with it at the start of this year. But to me, it didn't work. I don't know what I think about this line. Uh, Brandon Saad. Casper Kapanen on his wings, not doing much this season. Craig Bruby did say that uh, last year when Buchnevich played in the middle, he really set up his uh, wingers for scoring opportunities, did a good job offensively with that. Um, you know, I just don't see these guys producing the way that uh, the team had hoped. And so, yeah, you want to try to get them going, uh, but I don't know that this is uh, a recipe for this right now. And then also I think you need a little balance. Uh, Shen hasn't had a great offensive season 
uh, but they're looking for a line there with Hayes, Shen, and Sunquist to do something on that third line and and try to just get the scoring from anywhere at this point. Is is the retool starting to be threatened by the rebuild, Jr. Yeah, you know, big picture for sure. You know, I I think that when they lose three in a row and look the way they have, and you start talking about you know inner workings of the team, guys picking and choosing when they want to play, which is what Captain Braden Shen said after the last game. You know, you start to look at the situation and say, you know, okay, can this team compete? on a nightly basis with this lineup, especially when you look at this forward group that they're just trying to patch together to get some sort of offense and say, okay, where's it, where's it going to come from? You know, is this going to turn into a rebuild rebuild? So I know that we've kind of touched on that question at times throughout the season. Is it going to turn into a full rebuild? Yeah. I don't think we're there yet, but I think if we continue to see what we've seen the past three games, um, they're going to get to a point where you know it's going to be wise to make decisions that are more based on the future than what we've seen. What does it tell us about the current view of Kevin Hayes and Braden Shin that Pavel Buchnevich is your second-line center right now? Well, it's a good question, but I just think that it goes back to trying anything at this point. It necessarily hasn't worked the other way. You know, they moved Hayes over. Um, you know, I think that you're getting what you're getting out of those guys at this point, and you can't keep trying the same thing. So, you know, perhaps, 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 you know, what I expect to happen, uh, not a lot of production out of that line based on the way they've played this season, talking about Saad and Kapanen being on the wings, you know, maybe it does trigger something. And maybe like Ruby said today, it does help to get these guys going. I mean, we've seen that throughout the, the years where it just takes a little uh, finagling with the lines to get a guy going. So perhaps, you know, they see something that uh, this could work. Uh, I just think based on the results this season, uh, it doesn't look very promising. It seems, JR, that the, the wingers have not panned out the way that the Blues were hoping. I mean, you bring Verona in, he doesn't pan out. You bring Kapanen in, he hasn't panned out. You know, Saad hasn't lived up to those goal potentials that you're looking for. But with the Verona news that took place yesterday, what have you learned from yesterday to today with that situation? Yeah, with Verona, uh, you know, we could hear in just a little while uh, if he's is going to be indeed placed on waivers. And you go back to uh, yesterday, the information I got uh, from the agent was that uh, he was going to be placed on waivers because they got the phone call, both Verona and uh, J.P. Barry of CAA got the information from the Blues that he was going to be placed on waivers. And, and what happens typically is uh, if you don't see a guy go on waivers, that means there's continued discussions, whether it be trade talks with other teams or, or what have you. So did those trade talks lead to something, materialize uh, yesterday that could lead to a potential deal for Verona? Uh, we'll find out. If not, he could be on the waiver wire, which we'll know at, uh, at 1 o'clock. He did not have a locker stall at uh, Enterprise Center today for the morning skate. He was not on the ice. I don't expect him to be uh, back with the team. And I think that uh, this is a situation they want to part ways with the player and they'd like to make a deal or know that someone's going to pick him up from waivers. So you're not talking about a situation where you're, you're sending him down to your AHL affiliate and putting uh, your other players down there in a bad spot with a disgruntled player. So we'll see what happens with Brown today, but uh, always the potential for him to be on that waiver wire at one o'clock. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESP, and you can read his work over at The Athletic, and be sure you're following him on Twitter as well, at J.P. Rutherford. Jared, what's the lesson to be learned from the disappointing year from Jakub Vrana? Is there a lesson to be learned? Um, I guess the lesson, if, if there was one, and again, I think all three of us have uh, 
talked about the potential there and there are reclamation projects throughout the league all the time but if there's a lesson perhaps it's you know what went wrong in washington and then specifically in detroit you know that wasn't just a, a situation where a player didn't fit that scene and if if you moved him uh, perhaps he could be a player for you i think that what we've seen with Rana in a Blues uniform, especially this year. You know, last year you liked the offensive numbers, but as Craig Bruby said himself yesterday, that was you know nothing really to play for. You were coming in, putting up numbers, and it wasn't the same situation as the start of this year. You know, this is a player that I don't know that you can count on. I don't think he has an awareness of of how he can be better. I mean, he talks about the strengths in his game. You know, he's a skater, he's a shooter. I think he just wants the coaches to automatically trust him that he can be that player and score goals for you, and then you're just going to overlook the defensive end. And Well, it's all fine and dandy, but if, if you're not scoring and he wasn't, then how do you put that player out on the ice, especially when you look at the three or four glaring mistakes uh, per game? So I think it's a situation, if there's a lesson, maybe you analyze it a little bit better. Like, hey, do we really think if this is the third team for this guy, uh, he, we can we can overlook some of the shortcomings that he's had as a player, and even some shortcomings, uh, uh, you know, in, in your locker room. Blues back in action tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. It does not sound like we are going to see David Perron in this one. Uh, Blues versus Detroit, though, coming up at 6.30. JR, before we get you out of here, I did want to ask you, it'll be our last opportunity to really talk about this probably, uh, kind of revisiting the David Perron decision is it fair for us to look back at this now and say, hey, got it wrong? Uh, they, they messed up there, should have brought back David Perron for the number that he was asking for? Yeah, I think so. I don't think that it would have uh, it would be a make-or-break situation on where the Blues are at. And I don't say this from a standpoint of you got to show loyalty, even though I do think that's a big issue with, with players. I think, though, uh, that the number was fair, and I think given David Perron a couple years could have been fair with his production, and look, he's he's still producing. And look where the Blues power play—they missed that one timer. There's so many holes. They think that you lose when you uh, when you let David Perron go and try to fill him with some other players. So I do think at the time, and certainly here in hindsight, that that was a decision that uh, I think the Blues could have made differently, and it would have turned out better for him. Jr., appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk with you again next week. Yep, thanks a lot, guys. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll give our extended thoughts on the David Perron situation. Looking back on that about a year and a half later, coming up at 1230. Blues back in action tonight against the Red Wings minus David Perron, who was suspended for this game. Pre-game with Alex starting at 530. Puck drop for that one. It's an early one coming up at 630. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
888-999-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, what's the urgency to get a Paul Goldschmidt extension done? Should there be urgency to do so? We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But let's start out with some questions from you guys via the text line. This one comes from the 314. Alex, do you believe that it is better for Major League Baseball that Otani went to L.A. to help a big-time team with the Dodgers, or do you think it would have been better if he ended up going to a quote-unquote smaller market for more competitive balance in Major League Baseball? I think it's better he goes to the Dodgers because I I always think it's good to have villains in, spro- in sports, and the Dodgers probably became that, but I also think it's good. Now, it sucks because it's the West Coast once again, and you don't see Otani if you're not going to be staying up late, but... So you'll never see a game? Probably. Never. Other than highlights in the next morning, oh, but yeah, I, I also think it's just good when you have somebody like that going to a big market where everybody's focused in on it. And like I said, I personally believe villains are good in sports and the Dodgers are now one of them. I actually would have loved it if he went to Toronto because though they are a big market, they aren't viewed as that here in the States. They're not the Yankees. They're not the yeah. Red Sox. They're not the Dodgers. And, and I different. think I think when you get the quote-unquote smaller market teams that end up saying, you know what, let's go for it. Let's spend big dollars. I think that's better for the game because it felt so predictable. And then we like convinced ourselves when there was that private jet that was flying to Toronto, like, oh, my God, he's actually going to go elsewhere. He's not going to be a Dodger. When in hindsight, like, that's been in the building for, what, five years now that he was going to end up with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't know. I I think it would have been better for baseball if it would have been more of a surprise and he would have gone to like Toronto, for example, or like if San Francisco was really in on the sweepstakes or if the Red Sox were really in on the sweepstakes. That's the kind of thing that I think. I think it's great for baseball. I do. I think it's good for him to play for a pedigree team. And we're talking about a team like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox. I always thought that would be ideal for the sport that being said i don't care man <laughs> like it makes it harder for the cardinals to be able to make the world series if shohei otani is playing for the dodgers you've got i mean if we're talking about the best trios that have ever been assembled somewhere on that list and not too low on that list is freddie freeman mookie betts shohei otani and that's what they have that they're building around right now so man that team has the chance if they get the right pitching in place to be excellent next year And this is why I said going into last season, man, the Dodgers don't look very good, guys. Like, this looks like a rebuild year. And they won 100 bleeping games in their rebuild season. That roster was not very good. So credit to them for being able to maintain what their standard is, even in retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it type of a season. And now they got Shohei Otani. They're probably going to sign Yamamoto. They're going to go out and make a trade for Tyler Glass now. They're going to bring in like a Shane Bieber. They're going to sign one of like Lucas Giolito or Jack Flaherty as like their fourth best starter. And hey, if it works out, great. If not, oh, well, it is what it is. They're and absolutely, they've still got all the young pitching that you could possibly ask for. They're, they're going to abs- be really good. They're absolutely signing Jack Flaherty, and Jack Flaherty's going to pitch great for him. I feel like Le- Lucas Giolito feels like the guy He's another one. After. And, and out of those two, I could see Jack, him. Jack feels like a Ray. Yeah, something like that. I could see him signing with Kansas City. Like, they're definitely oh, going to get it wrong in that mid-tier market, and oh, he's probably Paul, the Jack, guy. if you're listening, I know you are a big fan of the show. Don't sign with Kansas City. They can't fix you, man. They've broken a lot of players. Uh, Go to Tampa Bay. You're 100% correct. All right, from the 314, guys, I was doubted about my Alabama Crimson Tide making it into the top four. With that being said, do you think that they will or could beat Michigan? Is this from the guy we saw at uh, Copper Fire one year that was decked out in Bama? Oh, yeah. Appreciate you still listening. Longtime fan. Uh, Who you got in Bama versus Michigan? We're... 
four weeks away from the game being played. But let's oh. go ahead and get our preview done. Let's let's get it out of the way now. I, I personally think Michigan wipes the floor with them. Really? I, I think Michigan's the better team. Man, I don't know. I think this is the best game. I, I don't think Washington, Texas will be as good as this one. I think it's a really awesome matchup. I, I think I would take Bama, honestly, over Michigan. Now, do I think they win it all? Eh, I don't know. But I think they can beat Michigan because you saw how dominant that defense was against the Georgia Bulldogs. Michigan doesn't have a passing game that's really threatening. They really just run the football at you. And if they can stop the run, which I think they can, they did a pretty good job of that against Georgia, they'll be able to beat the Michigan Wolverines. So I I think they can beat Michigan. I don't know if they can beat Washington or Texas, though. I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. I don't think there's going to be a ton of points in it, like 23-20, something like that feels right. That's boring. I I think it's a 50-50 proposition, and that's a terrible answer for you guys, but it's the truth. I don't have a strong lean one way or the other. You basically got the over-under. It's at 45 and a half. Okay. If I had to pick one, I would probably pick the Alabama, but that is honestly SEC bias. It really is. Um, I think Jalen Milrow has really come into his own in the last three or four weeks. We've seen him grow in a significant way. And because of that, I'll, I'll side with the Alabama side. J.J. McCarthy still makes me a little nervous in big game moments, big situations late. If he's got to throw the football, I like him. I think he's fine. I have more belief in Alabama getting Jalen Milrow. The football, get him into big time situations. He's either running it or throwing it. And I feel like he's going to make a play. So that's really all it comes down to. It's shoddy science, but that's uh, Can't the say best that on the air. Life. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Alex, this one I believe is for you. Guys, when you have the captain coming out and saying that players are not giving their best and they're just playing when they want to, I know that is on the player, but as a GM, shouldn't you be able to know the character of your players as well? Is that on the GM to know his players he's bringing into the organization, the coach to get the most out of him, or is it just a player issue? I, I loved Braden Shen's response to that follow-up question by Lou Korak because Lou said, is that on the leadership? And he said, sure, leaders are supposed to get these guys ready, but I can't control what these guys do in their uniforms when they're on the ice. I can't tell Yakub Verana to back-check the skater and not lose the board battle. And to be fair, like Doug Armstrong... He knows who he's bringing in. He knew Yakub Verana was somebody who has not had the best pass. I mean, you don't get traded between two separate teams and then get cut by the team through waivers. Then you come back and then you get traded again because you're a guy that nobody wants to lose. So Doug Armstrong said it when they acquired Yakub Verana. This is an opportunity for him to show who he is and go out there and rejuvenate his career. And he didn't do it here. The same can be said about, and I'm not just singling out Yakub Verana because there are more than just one guy that's not doing what Shen talked about but no I, I hate that that reasoning of shouldn't this be on the coach and the in the leadership group to get those players going sure the, everybody probably is on the same page once the puck drops but then when the puck drops and adversity comes their way if a player says man I don't want to work that hard tonight well then can't do anything about that the weird thing is like I don't know who those players are that they're talking about like I know that they're not going to come out and just name names but like, I think Kyra's been better this year. I really oh, yeah. do. Kyra's not been the problem. Like, I so we can go up and down the lineup, but I'm thinking to myself, like, man, you've replaced half of this lineup from last year. So shouldn't it be better? Because these guys that you're bringing in from elsewhere, like, I, I don't think Kevin Hayes is coasting through games. I don't think Oscar Sundquist is coasting through games. I'm pretty sure Braden Shin isn't. So we start narrowing it. Like, Jake Neighbors That'd is be not wild the guy. if Shin was the one that was coasting <laughs> through games. Like, I, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> who are we talking about here? It's, it's so strange to me. I think that some of it is. We don't want to admit it because it's frustrating and I, maybe worse. They're just not very good. Like this team just isn't very good. 
and when a team isn't good, it can sometimes feel as though there's a lack of effort. I don't know that it is that they're not trying on certain nights. I think Yakub Verona didn't try. <laughs> like I flat out think he what? did not care. There the were board battles. That guy skate past oh him and go God. into the zone and shoot it. He's tired. The yeah. board battles in the last couple of games, that was... They had to do something. That, that, you could not allow that guy to be back that in your locker That first room. goal that the Blues gave up to Chicago where Verona, like, out and he skated oh. past him and shot it. You saw Craig Berube's thought process through his eyes. And Wait, then, Brian, and then it happened here. again. And it was like, oh, yeah, this. I texted both of you. I said, Verona's not going to be with this team beyond this weekend because of those three shifts. I, you, you could not allow that guy to. Wear, a, wear the blue note jersey again. It, it couldn't happen. That sweater had to be ripped off of him and thrown away because that guy could not be back here in yeah. the Blues uniform. And, and to your point, just real quick, you mentioned, um, you know, there's a reason he bounces around teams and people would probably go, well, then doesn't Doug Armstrong, doesn't Craig Berube know what player he is? Yeah, but every team can look at the, the talent and go, some point maybe this clicks Absolutely. and like they're different players Didn't work out for them uh, for us I, they're different players so i hate to bring up the name but it's the first name that i think of pran had the talent his first trip here in st louis but it didn't click until he got traded away yep. and that's why you see a team continue to do this but again but i get the first it, place comp. but the first place he went he figured it out the first place yeah, he exactly. was traded to in edmonton he figured it out immediately whereas verona was detroit there was also off ice issues for Verona? Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. that's a big part of this conversation, too, is like, I think you could easily explain it to yourself that, hey, because of the off-ice stuff that took place in his second stint, stint that, but that means that it was... just off-ice things, teams can teams can say, well, we'll work with them through it. And I I've, mean, when he was on the ice, though, he was super productive in Detroit. We talked about the numbers where, like, based on his games played, goals per game, etc., he was one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. And then it just totally evaporated. This year, you were getting none of the goal production and all of the bad defense. So when you combine those two things, I can't, you can't be on your roster yeah. anymore. But my my main point is, I, I don't know that this team is a lack of try. I think they're just not talented enough. And when you get a team that's not good enough, it sometimes looks as though they're not trying because they get beat a lot. And when a team loses a lot... It typically ends up not. And it's just hard right. to say that, too, because I've we've seen them dominate certain games also. And, but and that's, that's what a team does that's inconsistent. Like a team well, that is inconsistent and not very good, they sometimes go out there and look great. But that's where it comes into Shen's comments of uh, when, when they're all on the same page from start to finish, they look like a team that's capable of at least being a playoff contender. But when you lose a couple of pieces... The margin for error is zero for this team. Especially man. when you lose a couple of pieces. If a couple of pieces don't play to the system that they want, everything breaks. Or if the other team just has a couple of lucky bounces. That's the other thing that we probably don't give enough credence to. A lot of what the defensive system was early on in the season, and we wondered if this was the case or not, but we didn't know. It was Jordan Bennington having an unbelievable stretch of hockey, man. They were giving up a ton of chances. A ton and Benner was just a brick wall in front of the net. And so you were like, oh, man, look at the goal suppression. You gave the numbers yesterday on the show, Alex. They were outstanding numbers. They were giving up like two fewer goals per game in the first 13 games of the season than they have in the last 13. Why is that? I don't think it's because the defense has get, been getting significantly worse. I think it's a little bit worse. But I think a lot of it is because you just haven't had the best goaltending that we've seen in St. Louis in three years over the last 13 games. I think that's a huge part of the equation. And when they get down early, they don't have the offense to be able to come back. And so now you just like 
throw the defense to the side and say, okay, we're going to become a rush team and everything opens up. And now it becomes a five to one loss, five to two loss, three to one loss, six to three loss. And that's where we're at. All right. Coming up next, the Cardinals apparently want to resign Paul Goldschmidt. They want to extend him this offseason. Should there be urgency to do so? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I knew for sure I had Paul Goldschmidt for at least next year and the year after, I would say the window's opening based on the talent you put on the bump now. With the current situation with the pitching staff and the, like the, the rotation and the bullpen and Goldie on one year left, Arenado aging, next year will tell me what this year truly was when it comes to something like that. So in its current state, the window's closing. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, that was Jamie Rivers during the season talking about what the plan is with Paul Goldschmidt long-term. Alex Goldie has one year left on his current deal, and then he's a free agent. And according to Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the Cardinals are open to and really kind of urgent to try to get an extension done with Paul Goldschmidt. Let me start by saying that like giving the opinion of, okay, what will they do versus what should they do? What will they do? I would be shocked if they don't get an extension done. They view Goldie as a legacy player. He won the MVP while he was in a birds on the bat uniform. Like this is a guy that they want to finish his career here in St. Louis. And my guess is they would hope he goes into the hall of fame as a Cardinal. That's how they will very likely view this. And honestly, probably should. Because that's who you are as an organization. And there's a lot of value in knowing who you are. It is important for the Cardinals to keep guys like Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina in a Cardinals uniform. And if you could do the same with Paul Goldschmidt, more credit to you. Now, what should they do? What would I do? I would not feel any urgency whatsoever to get this extension done, Alex. I would not try to do it this offseason. I would want to see what he looks like in 2024 first. Your extension will begin, begin When Paul Goldschmidt is 37 years old, that is not the kind of guy that I want to be signing a year in advance for market rate money. Now, if he's willing to accept less than what he's probably worth and he just says, hey, I just want to be a Cardinal, man. I want to finish my career here. I want to give you extra flexibility so that way you guys can continue to build around me. Which, by the way, if there was a Paul Goldschmidt move, that would be it. Maybe. He gets his money, though, man. Like, for all the talk about Goldie and like, and he should. This is not me saying anything negative about Paul Goldschmidt. Get your money while you're in it because this career does not last all that long in Major League Baseball. But... I personally would not try to sign him this offseason unless it is a below market value deal. And I don't think Goldie's signing that this offseason. So uh, he shouldn't accept anything less than $20 million because that's the QO. And let's be honest, they're QOing him after the season if he were to get to free agency. I would wait until midseason all-star break. If it looks like he's still the same Goldie that he's been, cool. Get him signed to a two-year extension probably. Otherwise, though, I would not do this yet. I don't even think I would do it if he looks good in the uh, by the deadline. I I I wouldn't jump into this because I'd want to see one what Paul Goldschmidt looks like, and two, frankly, uh, if you're the Cardinals, I, I think you need to decide what you would do in the sense you don't bring back Paul Goldschmidt because that's the other telling sign with this team. Are you going to be willing to spend that money and upgrade your team elsewhere? Because 
One, do you have a first baseman replacement? Because look how long we were searching for Paul Goldschmidt as Cardinals fans before you got him. Sure. Do you have a first baseman replacement? Is it Jordan Walker? Because if it is, are you upgrading the outfield? If it's not Jordan Walker, are you going to spend that money to go get a first baseman? Is it Alec Burleson? And then if you do all of that, are you going to be willing to spend all of that money to upgrade your team on the pitching rotation or in the bullpen? That's my bigger question with this Cardinals team. Don't just jump in and say, well, we got to lock up Paul Goldschmidt before he goes because we don't want to lose this Hall of Fame caliber player. I'm trying to win. And if Paul Goldschmidt is the best player available to help me win, sure, re-sign him. But I'm not going to re-sign him before the season in hopes that he's going to be that guy. And I'm not going to sign him at the trade deadline because he looks like that guy for four months. Because then when I do, and he doesn't look like that guy in the second half of the season or in the playoffs or the next year, now I've just put 20 to $25 million towards a player and said, well, we're stuck with this for the next couple of years, and you're going to be in the same spot you've always been. Yeah, I, I would wait on a Paul Goldschmidt extension, too. And I, I would wait till the deadline, but I'd see where you're at at the deadline because – I'm not going to rule out they're not sellers at the deadline. And the reason I say that is because though the rotation is better on paper than it was last year, that's a low bar to clear. And I have questions about the effectiveness of the innings that they were so sought after this offseason. So I would wait till the deadline because he is getting older. I mean, you just mentioned he's going to be 37 when the contract extension kicks in. And it's not like that I'm we're raising this question and there's not like, well, you know, he just had another great year. Yeah, he was good again, but he was 20% above league average and he had the lowest slugging of his career. And My that's the big question. That he becomes the next Lance Berkman. Yeah. Because when it goes for these guys, man, World it Series doesn't... champion Lance Berkman. Absolutely. And In the he, outfield. He was a <sighs> massive piece to that puzzle. And the year prior, you guys remember, it was viewed as, hey, he's, he's broken. He's spare parts. 35 years old. Why are the Cardinals signing this guy and giving him a deal? Like, he's not going to be able to recapture the form of what he was during the Killer Bees era. And he did for a year. Let me save all of the text messages. No, it wasn't because they had better coaching with Lance Berkman. <laughs> he, he broke. That probably was. His body broke down on him. And to be fair, like, Goldie is very different as a specimen than what Lance Berkman was when he was here in St. Louis. I understand that. Here's the problem. Can you guys show me the comparison for what we're talking about here with Paul Goldschmidt? Who is the guy that was as good, as consistent as Paul Goldschmidt has been into his late 30s and then just continued doing that until his age, like 39 season? I'm legitimately 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. Who's the hitter that did that? Because a lot of the guys that you compare him to, they went down a cliff. One guy specifically that I would reference is Joey Votto. Joey Votto is a very different stylistic hitter, but up until his age 37 season, he was awesome, man. A really, really good player. And over the last two years, which is basically the part of the extension that we'd be talking about here in St. Louis, 689 OPS, 745 OPS, below league average both seasons offensively. Prior to that, 160, 167, 126, then had a season where he was down, 95, and then the COVID year, and then boom, 140. This thing goes quick, man. When you're into your late 30s, it can go like that. And so we're just waiting. We're waiting, waiting, waiting. When's the cliff coming? And then it's going to go down precipitously. I don't want to be the team that has him signed to a two- or three-year extension when that happens. You don't want to be the Reds where you're stuck with that big contract number on the books when you didn't have to do it. Don't make the Matt Carpenter uh, mistake again. Don't do what you did last offseason with Miles Michaelis again. Wait. Wait until you get to midseason. That is when I would personally be willing to give him a one- or two-year deal. 
one or two years. Hopefully you could do with him what you did with some of these other guys where it's a one-year contract with a club option. That would be ideal, but I would not, not, not explore this as a long-term extension this offseason with Paul Goldschmidt because you are begging for something bad to happen where you're stuck with more money that you don't want on the books the way that you are. Let's be let's be honest here with both Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright over the last couple of seasons. Don't don't make that mistake. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I you can't tie yourself into a deal, especially when there is something that is just screaming red flag. When when you have your career low and slugging percentage for a guy that is hitting in the middle of the order and is being viewed as a power bat in your lineup, and he just comes off a year where he had the lowest slugging percentage of his career, you can't jump in and give him a contract extension. It's just, that's just not smart baseball business right there. Now, I get it. If you want to view him as a legacy player, sure, but that's where you're right. They need to go into it, wait, give him a one-year deal, put a club option on it if he would take that. And if not, I mean, I hate to say this, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they said, you know what, we just can't do this because it puts us in a bad spot. Kind of what happened in the Albert Pool situation. They said, nah, I don't know if we can go to this length on this deal. puts us in a bad situation. They were right at the in that contract that he signed with the Angels, and then they got him back for one final year, and it was great. So I, I just hope that they don't make the mistake and sign him to a contract extension heading into spring training. A lot of people saying the one guy that you could really point to that was able to continue hitting at the same level is Nelson Cruz, and there's a lot of truth to that. Here's the problem. The fact that we can immediately single out the one guy – basically post-steroid era that was able to continue to be at the exact same level in their mid to late 30s as they were prior to that, we've all got the same answer. That tells you there's a lot of guys that were either Hall of Fame or borderline Hall of Fame players that fell off. They get to age 36, 37, 38 years old, and then boom, it's the decline phase almost immediately. Goldie's a guy that has dealt with some back stuff over the last couple of years. I just would not rush in to any of these kinds of situations if you don't have to do so. I understand why you want to do this. I would not want to do it to the degree where it ends up locking you in long term. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex has a really interesting perspective on the David Perron saga and what happened after the Blues let him walk. It really dates even prior to that decision. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so, but coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. here on BK and Ferrario. That's Alex. He's T-Bone. I'm BK. Alex did some excellent research. He's going to give you the results of that coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals will make the NLCS at some point in the Shohei Otani contract. I'll take in the, the NLCS in the 10 years. They will years? make the NLCS. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the field on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I will too. I'll now, it. If you would have said the Dodgers make the NLCS more than the Cardinals in the Shohei Otani era, I'd probably say forget that one. You could just pencil them in for the, at least like the next seven. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else is competing with them, I think, especially so when he starts pitching. Uh, but yeah, I'll bet the 10 years for an NLCS by the Cardinals. Yeah, Cardinals are making it next year. It's not this year. It's probably about eight years from now. 
calm down. Over be right there. back in. They're going to extend Paul Goldschmidt, and this is going to be the last year. With or, with <laughs> or without Yadier Molina as the manager? Yeah. Well, if they're in the NLCS, he ain't the manager. Maybe. Maybe they have a second-half turnaround. Can you imagine yeah. if they... Who would have thought Ben Berube would be the yeah. key coach in the key yeah. Cup? I was about to say, can you imagine if they pull a 2019 Who would have Mike Schilt made a run like he did once Mike Matheny was let go? Yeah, a run to miss the playoffs? Uh, they were better in the second half than they were in they the first were. half. They didn't make the playoffs. Uh, that's yet. because Mike Matheny put them in a bad spot. Yeah. Alex, what do you got for us? Bet it or forget it. The Blues power play will finish the season worse than the National Hockey oh, League. Oh, bet it. This power play is abysmal and tough to watch. Where are they at right now? Free right right first. Now? The only are team they? that's worse than them is Washington. Yeah, I'll bet it. They, they, the puck moving's too slow. Dude, I watched Washington the other day, by the way. There's nothing they, else on. They are horrible. They're suffering from no Nicholas Backstrom. I mean, they're terrible. Ovech- you think the Blues are bad? That is an unwatchable product Ovech- that they're putting out there on the ice every night. Ovechkin is not himself and will never be himself until he gets another sentiment like that. He doesn't also, have a he's sentiment. He's like 70, so... Yeah, but like the dude, he has five goals. We're mad about the Jordan Cairo. And no production. power play goals. He has five goals on the season. Yeah, that and no power play stinks. goals. Stinks, stinks, stank, stunk. They are bad. Yep. Who would have thought Nicholas Backstrom was the reason Ovechkin was so good? Yeah. True. Right. If you're yeah. Nicholas Backstrom, you can you can retire knowing like, man, I made Ovechkin. I don't know. If, does he get to the Gretzky number eight ninety four? I no, think he needs man. like sixty. I think he needs fifty eight no. more goals. How old no. is he? It's like thirty seven. He's 70. He's dragging himself onto the ice. If he is only 37, I blame the coach. A lot older. I blame the coach. Dude, the Capitals and the Penguins are both in a bad place right now. Bad place. Yep. And the Penguins, for some odd reason, said, "You know what'll make our team better? A defenseman who can't play defense." I saw there was a quote the other day from their uh, their GM who said, "If there's a depth issue on this team, it's because of me." Well, no. Obviously, yes, you're yeah, but correct. It's, but it's not even a depth a depth issue issue. It's the uh, your best guys can't play; they're old. Yeah, you're paying Malkin. Although Crosby has been freaking incredible this year, Malkin's still the same guy. Yeah, their best guys are fine, but they're also locked into long term contracts with Brian Rust, who is not himself. He looks a little rusty out there. I mean, he's got twenty points. In and then games. Jake Gensel's going to be a UFA, and you can't afford That's him. Not good because you decided to trade for Eric Carlson. Well, That's not what you want. T-Bone, what do you got? You hate to see it. Bet it or forget it. By the way, I'm betting it, yeah. I'm actually forgetting it. I think the Capitals will be the worst. No, I'm betting it. No, um, I'm, I'm forgetting it. Capitals are not going to get any better. If anything, they're going to trade pieces away. We might, too. Nah, well, I don't, thought, no, I don't think it's going to impact the power play, though. Uh, bet it or forget it. The Cardinals sign Jordan Hicks and then call it an offseason. Uh, I don't want to, but I'll bet it. I don't think they're going to sign Jordan Hicks. They met with his representatives at the winter meeting. Okay. That should they, tell you everything, though, that they haven't signed him yet. Who's he represented by? True. Who's his agent? Is he Boris? No, he's not Boris. I can't remember who he's represented by. Oh, we would have heard Boris talk about Jordan uh, Hicks if he was yeah. Boris. I'll have to see who his agent is. But How many fellers throw a 105-mile-an-hour sinker that moves like the wind? That's what Boris would have said. Yikes. <laughs> fellers and moves like the wind. This ain't the roundup yet. I know. I kind of guess I'm used to it. I don't know. I'm not familiar with this group, but I would imagine they probably represent a lot of free agents. And so, yeah, they they would have not been doing their job if uh, they weren't meeting with them. But anyways, uh, I'm going to say forget it because I don't think they're going to sign Jordan Hicks. I think they sign one of the mid-tier guys and end up. I think they sign Josh Hader. Ooh. That'd be a terrible deal. You get excited about that one? No, it'd be a terrible (laughs) deal, but I know everybody would be excited about it. I'd be I'd be excited about uh, He doesn't want the ball. I want guys I, who want to be here and yeah. want the ball. Yeah, you got two back-end guys He's that got great closing Dodger. experience. Um, I don't want talent. 
He's going to sign with the Dodgers. They're going to add that $20 million dollars to Otani's, and they're going to say, let's go. I think he's going to be a brewer. That would be something. Be cool. um, says Shohei won't go back to where it all started, but I will. Money, they should be the one that does it. Just throw all of your money at the bullpen. I'm actually going to bet this, by the way. I, I think they're going to sign Hicks. It's going to be like a three, four-year deal that T-Bone's going to scream about the next day. <laughs> and probably scream about when, when he struggles. And we all say, like, hey, you knew about his inconsistency. Why'd you give him a four-year deal? And then I think they're going to call it an offseason. I don't think they're really in on the pitching market still. Like, I know yeah. that we're hearing that. but skeptical. I mean, everybody's in on the pitching market. They're going to have to win a bidding war for anybody on the on the trade market. And they don't like to do that. So I, I'm going to bet it. I, and I'm kind of with Alex. I, I kind of wish I wasn't going to bet it, but I think they'd do it. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. Somebody other than the Ravens will make it out of the AFC representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. Forget it. Well, KC, no. Dude, the um, AFC is Buffalo, terrible. no. Miami, no. They're all bad. Cincinnati? Sure. No. <laughs> I, I was talking to my buddy about this yesterday. Chargers aren't. You could name any of like 10 teams as the team that you think will make it out of the AFC. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. It'll be the Jets. You want to make Aaron a case? Rogers. Like if we did the prove me wrong thing that the fast lane does, prove me wrong. The Cleveland Browns should be the favorite to get out of the AFC. I mean, they do have a Super sure. Bowl MVP on that roster. Like, sure. I, I could buy it. I could absolutely make that case. Flacco. Oh. <laughs> Best defense. Did he just get demoted to the practice squad? No. Yeah, but he's it's just yeah. a roster. Oh, thing. okay. Um, <laughs> they said, we like what you're doing, Joe, but Dorian Robinson's going to take care of us the rest of the way. Really good running game. Defense that can make any quarterback uncomfortable. Joe Flacco makes just enough throws. They get to the Super Bowl. Sure. I can see it. Uh, the Houston Texans make it to the Super Bowl. No. CJ Stroud makes like one of the Joe Burrow type of runs that we saw from a couple of years ago. Their defense has just enough plays. Sure, I could see it. The Buffalo Bills make it to the Super Bowl. That one I could see happening. Josh Allen just goes on this scorched earth tour for the next six weeks. Looks like the best player in the world and limits, not eliminates, but limits the turnovers. Sure, I could see it. The Bengals get to the Super Bowl this year with Jake Browning as their quarterback. Yeah, I could see it. All right, Pittsburgh, go. That, so New England, the go. teams I cannot, I don't, I don't see any scenario in which they get there that have won at least five games so far this year. Colts go. Oh, I could see that. I think it'd be surprising. Their defense is solid and yeah, dude, man, this conference is it. terrible. The Baltimore Ravens are definitively, clearly, can, no can doubt about it, the best team in the AFC. They took overtime to beat the Rams. Tebow knows how the Rams are. They've got a fun offense. That defense is trash, man. This is okay. No, you shouldn't need overtime to beat them. Let's, especially because they had to the travel west to east. You know, like when that game started overtime, the Rams were just getting ready to play football in their time zone. Um, Chargers can't make it now that their quarterback's down. Raiders stink. Jets terrible. Titans no. Can we just call a spade a spade? The NFL stinks this year. There's the like NFC's one. Fun. There's like two. Good. The top four teams in the NFC, I think, are pretty good. <laughs> the, the Lions, I'm out on at this point. So really, you could call it top three. I think the 49ers, Cowboys. Are all really, really good. I think I'm going to lose a lot of Eagles. money during uh, the wild card weekend. I think there are oh, two I'm legitimate bet so teams. So much on the Cowboys. I'm going to lose so much money, weekend. though. I think there are two legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and Cowboys they have and to be 49ers. in the Yeah. The Eagles aren't that. Their defense stinks. Their quarterback's playing hurt. They're not that team. Detroit, forget about it. Go forget out, they, about go, it. they go outside, go off short circuits. There's two legitimate good teams, and then the rest of the NFL is just right. average at best. And part of that is because of all the quarterback injuries that we've seen this year. But I, 
I don't even remember what the question was, but I'll bet it. Anybody can survive Better to forget it's somebody other than the Ravens makes it, it out of the AFC. Bet it. Yeah, I just think that the Ravens are so flawed that, sure, one of these other teams could make it. I don't know who that team's going to be, but if you're telling me one team or the field, I'm going to take the field in the AFC because all of these teams are incredibly flawed. Somebody said, BK, you're whining about the Ravens. I'm not whining about them. I just don't think they're very good. I mean, it Alex, like you're whining. we've... <laughs> Alex, how many times have you told me you can't trust this team? A lot. And believe me, I've lost money because of it. Like just when we thought we could trust them coming off of that huge win against the Seattle Seahawks, they lay an egg at home against Cleveland. And then a couple of weeks ago, they don't look very good on the road at the Chargers. This past weekend, they barely escape against the Rams. Great Rams. They're going to go on the road this weekend against Jacksonville, Sunday night football. I could totally see them losing that game. They're going on the road next weekend against San Francisco. I I expect them to lose that game. The following week, New Year's Eve, at home against Miami. I think they'll win that game because I think Miami's a total fraud. I think they're soft, and I think they're not good against any of the legitimate contenders in the NFL. Throwing the S-word out there. He's not wrong. Could they beat the Ravens? Yeah, Tyreek Hill could go for 200 yards in that game and they end up winning 31 to 27. So they could lose their next three games and suddenly you're looking at a team that's 10 and 6 needing to beat Pittsburgh in order to get into the playoffs as a top three seed instead of being the one seed that we currently view them as. AFC stinks. Coming up next, Alex did some unbelievable research during the show today. What would the team look like for the Blues if they just kept the band together? talk about it next and whether or not it was actually realistic here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The best way to describe it, uh, if you're going to tell your childhood buddy uh, you want to have dinner with him, uh, but you never make space for him, that's your priorities in life, and that's how it goes. I think that's the most dis- disappointing uh, part. I don't know if I've ever felt that um, I was going to have a chance to stay. And the other thing is uh, a lot of people were talking it was money and all that stuff, and it never was the case. So uh, that's the disappointing part for me for sure. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That was David Perron right after he decided to sign with Detroit, acting uh, very sad about the fact that he did not sign here in St. Louis. So like my two-year-old. Very sad. Alex, I wanted David Perron to be back. I said at the time, I think it's a mistake for this team, and I get a lot of stuff wrong. This is not me tooting my own horn. I... I said that the Cardinals should go out and acquire last offseason like Xander Bogarts. That would have been a terrible decision. Um, I've said that the Cardinals should go out and do a whole lot of stuff that would have completely blown up in their face. So I want to say that on the front end. But he knows his hockey. We'd have O'Neal locked up on a contract extension. Ten year, actually. And Bader. Bader would be fine. He can't stay healthy either. It wasn't like I was giving him big time. Anyways, never mind. (laughs) Set that aside. You guys are right. You should toot your own horn, actually. (laughs) Toot it, buddy. Toot it. I got something right, baby. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Blues always should have brought back David Perron. And they never should have brought back Nick Letty. And I know they tried to push back against this notion. And I thought they were wrong then. I continue to disagree with it today. It was a decision of Nick Letty versus David Perron. You had to decide, are we going to be light in our top six defense? Or are we going to be light in our top six forward group? And they decided because of age, because of uncertainty, a lot of different things, they were more willing to be light in their top six forwards. They thought their guys that were internal could take that next step. It hasn't happened. 
And Alex, when you look back on it, I think it was all so predictable. David Perron, everything that he was, you are still trying to replace today. His shot on the power play, that is what you need right now. His leadership in the club or in the locker room, it's what you need right now. His ability to just be a consistent player that plays the way that Craig Burby wants to play. Ferocity on the forecheck. You're still missing it today. The guy that just agitates the hell out of the other team, you're still missing that today. And if you just set aside everything that I just said, forget all of that. The production is what you are missing. Since he left, he has scored 31 goals and racked up 85 points in 108 games. He has 10 power play goals in those 108 games. The only Blues with more goals than him since he left, Kairu Buchnevich. The only Blues with more points than Perron since he left, Thomas Kairu Buchnevich. Now do the power play. If you're just looking at power play goals so far uh, in that same stretch of time that have more than uh, than Perron, it's Kairou and Buchnevich. That's it. He would be one of the three most productive players on your team if he had stayed here in St. Louis on this current contract. And instead, you decided to go out and make these moves for Kasperi Kapanen and Yakub Verona. Those guys are making a combined $5.8 million for you this year. That is more than what it would cost to have David Perron on this roster. You are paying $4 million for Nick Letty to be an underqualified top four defenseman. You could just have somebody else playing in that capacity. So I thought it was a mistake then. I think it's even more of a mistake now after we've seen the way that it's played out. Alex, you, though, went a step further, and you looked at what the lineup would be like if they didn't make a bunch of different moves that they decided to, and they just kept a bunch of guys around. Explain this to the audience because it's so interesting to me. Man. Yeah, so so the bigger part, what you were talking about, Piranha, is the culture. Like you've lost, and I, I talked with Panger on Saturday for the Blackhawks pregame, uh, Blues and Blackhawks, and he said like the Bortuzzo one, you could tell it impacted that team against the Blue Jackets to where you lost another guy that that locker room cherished so much. And we've heard them talk about establishing, reestablishing this culture for the Blues. David Perron was that culture. O'Reilly was that culture. Heck, go all the way back to Petrangelo. He was that culture. So I just went back and and went through cap friendly and looked at the guys that would have been a part of this team if he would have re-signed them. This doesn't impact any trades or anything like that. So I put together what your starting lineup would look like now if these certain guys were a part of this team. Get your notebook out. Okay, top line, Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kairou. Stays the same because that trade's still taking place. You trading for Buchnevich with Blay and a, what, second-round draft pick. Brandon Saad. With Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, you would have signed Ryan O'Reilly to his contract that he's making in in uh, Nashville, four point five for four years. David Perron would be making the money he's making in Detroit right 4. now, four point seven by two. Yeah, third line would be a Jake Neighbors, Braden Shen, and I put Pat Maroon on here, but Maroon could be a fourth line player for you. You could put a Blay, you could put a Torpchenko, whoever you want, but that's your third line. Can I put Kappen in there? You can. Well, no, you can't put Kappen in there. Well, okay. I mean. Technically, you can once I get to my, my finishing just, point here. Got him on waivers. Torpchenko, Sunquist, and Blay. That's your fourth line. Uh, you bring back Sunquist even after you traded him to Detroit. Although, wait just a second when I get to defense. Defenseman, you'd have Scandella and Pareko. You'd have Perunovic and Tucker. And you would have Jake Wallman not trading him for Nick Letty, which means you would have kept Oscar Sunquist and you would have kept Alex Petrangelo. Goaltending stays the same, Bennington and Hofer. That group that I just gave you, according to Cap Friendly, $77.5 million. And the salary cap this season... Does that season, include Benner? 
That includes Benner and Hofer. Wow. The salary cap this season is $82.5 million. And I know people say, but you wouldn't have been able to do that in the flat cap. You would have, because the flat cap, 81.5, 81.5, 81.5. Thomas and Cairo are making their bare minimum salaries. Buchnevich is making what he's making. You're giving O'Reilly and Perron their contract extension. You could have had that roster and probably avoided the retool. Old, slow, yeah, I would agree with you in all of those we senses. Know how they play, though. Look at all of the success that they're having with certain individuals. You exactly know how they play. You don't have to worry about reestablishing the culture. The culture is already in place, and now you're bringing up these younger players, Thomas and Kairou and neighbors, and you still can draft Snuggerud probably in that culture. And the crazier part is Cap going up next year to $87.5 million. That would have given you $10 million to spend. And then the year that a lot of these guys would have come off the books as UFAs, 25-26, the cap's expected to go up to $92 million. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, I'm sorry, but that team doesn't sound all that much better. Defense still horrible, and the offense isn't that much better by adding Perron and O'Reilly. So, uh, hold on. I'd argue that. <laughs> Defense is definitely better. Petro and Jake Wallman versus... Uh, Nick Letty Tory and Tory and, Justin, and Falk. Justin Falk. Which one would you rather have? I would rather have Petro. So, so your top four is Wallman, Petro, Scandella, Pareko versus Letty, Pareko, Krug, and Falk. Yeah, I'm taking the one with Petro. I've got a number one defenseman, and I'll figure the rest out. I and can trade for... The other thing that's important about this, Alex, is if you have the number one guy in place, it's like what we're talking about with the Cardinals right now. If you have the number one guy in place... You can trade for your next Nick Letty at the deadline every year. And They're all of that money. Available because teams are willing to eat half of the cap space for the remainder of the season. And you give up a second round pick and you're like, okay, we're going to continue adding pieces. So, yeah, Scandella on opening night is one of your top four defensemen. By the end of the season, he's probably not. By the end of the year, he's probably in your third pair or he's not here. So that's that's one piece to think of here. The other thing is the forward group. Like, you're just better. I, I'm not willing to listen to any argument otherwise. If you're telling me you think you're better by having Kevin Hayes, Kasperi Kapanen, and Jakub Verana than Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, and insert name here, I disagree. I totally disagree with that. I could not disagree with that, in fact, anymore. Those guys that we're talking about are, man, they're replacement-level players. Just who they are. I'm sorry, but it's the reality. David Perron's not. Ryan O'Reilly, while I didn't want to re-sign him for what he got in Nashville, is not a replacement-level player. There's no argument otherwise. Whoever that third player is probably is a replacement-level player. So I've upgraded from two, and I'm the same at the third? I don't know, man. I would rather have that option. Real quick, the, the people that are saying that's not better than the defense you have right now, Jake Wallman, who's playing with Marit Sider. Do not realize how good Jake Wallman's been? Well, look, he's playing with, with a guy who's going to be a Norris Trophy candidate for yeah, years to come. Petro! Exactly. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. But Marit Sider and Jake Wallman as the top pair for Detroit is averaging about 2.1 expected goals against per 60 minutes. You know what Letty and Pareko are averaging? Got to be better. 3.7. And Krug and Falk, 3.5. I mean, like, again, I I am the one person that said, I don't know if Jake Walma was ever going to be that here in St. Louis. But if you're saying he's playing with an Alex Petrangelo, I'll hear the argument here. But you're right. In terms of those forward groups, 
I will not hear the argument of competitiveness. Now, sure, it didn't look good last season with Ryan O'Reilly, but two years prior, Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron were still the best lines yeah. in this Blues and, team. In O'Reilly's defense, he was playing with Levo last year. Exactly. Correct. I probably wouldn't have the same feeling about <laughs> and, what Ryan O'Reilly is. And you're <laughs> telling me you would not like to see a Jake Neighbors, Ryan O'Reilly, and David Perron line. And look, I understand hindsight is God, 20... that would have been amazing. God dang it, man. And I understand hindsight is twenty twenty, and you, well, you can't do that, but here's the thing. It's not like these guys wanted a a monstrative amount of money where they said, oh, you couldn't have done it. What they signed for where they signed was money that was available that you could have signed if you didn't do some of the other moves. And it's the trickle down effect. It does go back to Petro to where you tried to get two guys that could fill the void of one player that costed you $13 million compared to eight. And then you started chasing your tail on the forward side of thinking, well, we've got this guy. So. Now we don't need a David. We, you know, we've got Brandon Side. We don't need a David Perron. You know, we got a Pavel Buchnevich. Maybe we don't need a Ryan O'Reilly. You started chasing your tail, which in result affected the culture of that locker room. It's just, it's just so frustrating because it does all come back to the Petro decision. Somebody on the text say. line said, "Guys, you're kidding yourself if you think Petro was going to resign here. He wasn't going to resign without a no move clause, and that's what it all came down to." There's been a bunch of reporting on this, and we don't have to go back and rehash it, but. It's why I've always had been so frustrated. Guys, the no-move clause, the only real difference between it and a no-trade is that you can't put a guy through waivers. You can't put him through, expose him on um, a expansion draft. Expansion draft. They were never going to do that. They weren't. If they were, they would have already waived Tory Krug. They're not going to because it's so hard to do. You're eating $6.5 million. If you were going to be at a place where you're going to eat $8 million or whatever ended up being here in St. Louis with Petro, man, your team's screwed anyways. So they, they weren't going to waive him. And you're not exposing that guy in the expansion draft. And frankly, if you were willing to, the team that is going to take him on, they're probably not taking him because they also don't want to have that $8 million on their books in that scenario. So I, I've just always disagreed fundamentally with that thought process, but that's neither here nor there. What really it came down to was when you knew in season, and I think Army knew, that you weren't going to re-sign Petro, you decided to trade for Justin Falk because you needed the insurance policy of, all right, we've at least got somebody that can not be exactly Petro, but can replace some of what we had with Petro. And then the next offseason, you sign Krug to replace another piece of what Petro did for you. So you've got to pay $13 million for two different defensemen to give you everything that one guy did. The same thing then happened with David Perron, where you have to sign a bunch of guys, give new rules to a bunch of different players to replace what um, what Perron was for you while he was here in St. Louis. Eventually, you just get rid of too many of those guys that are the A's and you're trying to replace them with two, three, four different C or B level players. I, just, I think you cut the cord too fast on that group that had the culture you desired. I just, and, and a lot of it started with Jay Bomeister and Alexander Steen that were both unfortunate scenarios that you couldn't do anything about. But as soon as those two went, you started cutting the cord elsewhere. And I just, the trickle down effect, maybe not on ice, like on ice, you saw the upside and I can understand where you were coming from, but off ice was the part. And it seems like it's also the part right now where you're still trying to grasp that mentality of we've got to do everything possible to win. 
And now you're you're falling away from that with a group of guys that you're trying to say, no, we need to get back to this. Braden Shen is screaming from the mountaintops. We need guys to show up and do everything possible to win this hockey game where you had guys that were very vocal about that in the locker room, like David Perron, like uh, Pat Maroon, like an Alex Petrangelo. And, and it just went to the, it went south fast. Yeah. And, and the Petrangelo and like there's no like. I, I'm, there's no argument to it. The the forward one, the, that's the one that I find the most interesting because I think what Army tried to do was the right idea of, because you look at that roster, in hindsight, we look at it and go, that oh my gosh, look at how great these lines would be. But at the time, and when you're thinking about that, you're going, okay, the NHL is getting faster. That is a old lineup and a slow lineup when you look at it on paper. And the fear would be that maybe you become more of like the Washington Capitals to where it is, okay. Absolutely. Maybe we do win, but if we don't, we're going to be old. We're going to be slow. Now, where the pushback is going to come is probably what you're about to say is those contracts are coming off the books rather quickly. Well, I was going to say 31 to 35 is different from 36 to 42 like Pittsburgh and Washington have. But you're getting older and you're getting slower and you're not modernizing is what I would say. And I think that's what he tried to do. And I think it was easier said than done. If we're going to get puck moving defensemen, we're going to get quick. We're going to become a rush team. That's what we got Cairo. That's what we got Thomas for. And it just didn't work out because it never had anybody that could take those roles. They might be old and slow, but are they good at what Craig Berube wants his team to do? At puck possession, forecheck. You know what team was old and slow? The team that nearly beat the Colorado Avalanche two years ago. That team wasn't fast. They they played with puck possession. They played with uh, goal suppression. Like that, A team was just good. It was just a good hockey team, man. You know what team wasn't overly fast last year in the playoffs? The Vegas Golden Knights. They were just freaking huge. They were mongoons everywhere. The forwards, the defensemen. Now, they've got skill. Don't get me wrong. They absolutely have skill. But I heard yesterday, I was listening to the morning show, and I was shocked when they said this. They were talking about how you can't win the way that the 2019 Blues did. We just saw it. Vegas literally just did it. Tampa Bay Lightning play the way that the Vegas or that the Blues did. Like these teams that are winning, you get to the playoffs. And we talked about this a couple of years ago. Alex, the Athletic did all of the research into it. The best indicator as to who's going to win the cup is who literally weighs the most, who has the most weight on their roster in terms of like how much when you put them on a scale, do they weigh? It's the biggest rosters that are still winning in the league. It's just like in the NFL, man. I am as big of a numbers nerd as you will find. When you get to the playoffs in the NFL, if you don't have a running game and a solid defense, you don't got to be great, but a solid defense and a running game that can put the game away late, you can't win in the playoffs. That's why I don't believe in this team in Miami. Man, they're fundamentally flawed right now. The same thing is true about the way that the Blues are trying to build. Unfortunately, I I was interested in the way that they were going to go about it, and maybe it could have worked. It hasn't worked so far. So uh, it's unfortunate, and that is some very sobering research that you did into the Blues. That'll kick off the rest of your week real happily. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer with men overestimating how skilled they are. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. 
Alex, if you were on a flight and there was an emergency and nobody else was willing or able to do so, do you feel like you could safely land that plane? Probably not, no. I, I played enough video games to where I feel like I could be competent, but there are way too many damn buttons in that room for me to say I'd know what I'm doing. Now, you put the headset on and maybe somebody on the other side can walk you through it. Uh, but no, I don't I don't have enough confidence in myself. I could do Especially it. Especially if it was an empty. You say you can. Yeah. Well, this is the guy who thinks he can win an, an Olympic gold medal playing I table could. tennis. Now, if, if the plane was just empty and it's just me, I'd have all the confidence in the world. But there Dude, would way, you really? Probably, yeah. I, because would, I would call whoever I needed to call and let him know, like, hey, I'm going to die. Well, yeah, but I'd <laughs> have all the confidence in the world. I'd be like, well, if I go down, it's just really? me. But if I got other people I'm concerned about, like, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I might volunteer. Like they'd go, oh my gosh, can someone fly a plane? I go, hi. Tanner would could. stand up with confidence and they'd be like, oh, yeah. we're saved. And the next thing you know, it's just Tanner. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, guys. Yeah. Oh, I'm dying. I am making it. This is going to be the end of me. BK had a good run. Feel like we did a pretty decent show for the time when we had it, but BK is no longer with us because he could not land that plane safely. Alex, there's new research that has been reported and asked about this according to a poll by YouGov. 50% of male respondents said they would be able to land the plane safely. Yeah, 50%. What I learned in this is that 50% of male respondents are way too confident in their own abilities, regardless of what it is that now, they're being asked Now, if you, were, if you were asking those guys, I wonder if the follow-up would be the, the person on the other side is going to walk you through everything. Sure, I don't care. I have a little bit more confidence in uh, myself that if somebody's telling me what yeah. to do, I could probably figure it out. I'm not if I if I was walking you through surgery, do you think you yes. would be able to get No, because I don't have steady hands. If I hands. had somebody walking me through no. it, absolutely. I, I don't have, have steady, steady hands, hands enough for surgery, but for landing a plane. Well, yeah, because landing a plane, you're, you're talking about using the freaking direction or whatever on it. Steady hands on surgery is like, yeah, if you cut one artery wrong, the guy's dead. Yeah, if you if you do one thing wrong with landing yeah, your plane, look, if you nobody else is going to volunteer, everyone's going down yeah. no matter what. So at least I'm going to give you guys a, a trying chance. Yeah. You need me to go ahead and maneuver a cruise ship? I could probably probably figure out a way to do take that the easiest oh, thing I, possible where you're gonna do is turn the damn wheel yeah i drive the take a family pontoon i can do it i'm just gonna go straight ahead and we'll see if we get to where we're supposed to go at some point i'm gonna hit land but well, if that's you're telling your goal. me <laughs> like i said I all play right never of, mind you can't do that you can't even drive games. a cruise ship i play a lot of video games i think i i think i could navigate the plane well enough i just need to know what I, buttons do what i i would be willing to give it a try yeah. Um, and if I had someone definitely like on my side as like a co-captain, like, okay, here's what we need to do. You need to push this. You need to do that. Oh, a hundred percent. I can volunteer. No. And you got autopilot chance. too, which is yeah. going to keep you going. Now, if you're telling me like one of the no, wings you, have been blown you off. Get autopilot. Do Still. I have somebody walking me through it? Sure. Yeah. You can I'm have somebody I think I could do it. I think if I could do it. they come on over the intercom and said, uh, we are looking for Ryder, someone do you think to you help. Do this? If somebody asks you, plays more video you gotta make you, 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 you plane. Your uh, your pilot has been incapacitated for one reason or another. Right? Had a heart Yikes. attack. Bam, gone. Wow. No longer there. Whoa. Snakes on they a plane. Say, hey, Snake got him. We need somebody to get this plane landed safely. It's an emergency landing, and you're the only one that's capable, willing, or able. Do you think you're landing that plane safely? Yeah, you do, Ryder. Don't be dumb. Did he say yes? Uh, no, no, he, he said, said no. Okay. 
Uh, yeah. At least we've got one person that is reasonable around here. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, Everybody I, in this building, if you ask, they'd be I like, yeah, you lack, probably do I it. think you lack confidence in yourself. It's you true. Know, yeah, of course I do, because I believe that being about a pilot it. is really freaking hard. And I'm they not have saying it's not. I'm just saying it's upon thousands of hours of training Absolutely. in order to land that thing safely. But and if I, got, I am not going to believe that I am capable of doing so. I would give it my best shot. But I got somebody intelligent on the other side walking me through how to do it. Sure. You know how long it took me to figure out how to learn to drive a stick shift well, look, more I'm, than I'm one crash you, landing oh, wow. i'll tell you that much well that's a you problem then yeah. <laughs> you, the first time you ever tried to drive a stick you were like yeah i've got this yeah, ready i to probably go. jacked the gears up a little bit but i didn't crash it no i'm not saying you crashed it but you get one shot with this thing you're not also not flying you know ten thousand miles an hour when you're oh they're just gonna say all right it. hit this button okay hit this button all right all right Your now you're gonna do this 95 honda civic you're gonna around do this. schnook's parking lot it's a little different look, man, you're gonna so slow the plane down you bring it up you bringing up stick shift really showing your age this segment okay i learned how to drive on a stick yeah, shift. you're showing your my age first car was a stick do you Man, even know what a stick shift is oh i know what they are but i've never driven <laughs> I actually one prefer driving a stick oh no uh, hell no <laughs> grandpa hell no i got a stick shift on a mower hey. or, or i had a stick shift on a riding enjoy, mower and the thing was awful you also enjoy cardinals baseball on the radio while sitting around the fireplace and not having to see it just imagine also getting it in that your ink head. on your fingers in the morning yeah. when you're reading the news yeah yeah grandpa yeah. don't know like why you can't be trusted Oh, I'm the grandpa of this yeah. group. Oh, this grandpa next. would fly like, the plane. Like putting your slippers on when you get home to keep your feet warm. Your, well, do you have, totally you have in-house shoes, don't you? I don't, actually. That is one thing that I've never been into. I don't like Shh, wearing shoes in the shut house up. in general. You have a white pair of sneakers that you when you get home, I did. You have, a, <laughs> you, have a, you, like you have a white pair of sneakers that when you get home, you say, i got to put my, my in-house Only shoes on. Only for mowing. He's Alex. That's well, T-Bone on BK. Coming up next, it's time for our Major League Baseball offseason roundup. Yeah! You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And it is time for our Major League Baseball (laughs) offseason roundup. You're not getting a yee-haw there. (laughs) No, great. Here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's start with this, guys. The big news yesterday was that Shohei Otani not only signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers, he did so for $2 million a year, essentially, Uh, according to all of the reporting that's taken place. Alex, I, I'm going to get nerdy here for a second. I do want to get your thoughts on him deferring $68 million of his $70 million salary per year uh, for a decade. We'll get into that here in just a second. For those that aren't familiar with how this works, to get real nerdy and take away any of the fun before we get to the fun part of it. Get nerdy with it. We learned this last year, man, with the Adam Wainwright contract. These teams do have to put that money into a an account, essentially, an offshore account for it to be there whenever the player is ready for it. So the Dodgers are technically allocating this money for this season. It's just not immediately going to Shohei Otani. And the reason why they do it and it matters for them is because of the CBT thresholds. They are now able to stay under that tax easier because of what they're doing with this because it's not applied to the payroll the same way. It's all accounting, essentially, for uh, the Dodgers. This is basically them doing, in baseball, what NFL teams do with uh, signing bonuses, where it's spread out over multiple years, so it makes it easier. Teams will use, like, void years and stuff. It's a lot of nerdy number stuff that doesn't really matter for the casual fan, but just know, 
The Dodgers are still paying $70 million. It's just not all immediately going to Shohei, so that way they can put better talent around him in the immediacy. The Cardinals never could have, would have done this. I don't know. You could have saved up all of your money until the end of this contract and then paid him in lump sum. Let's set all of that aside, though, for a second. Hot damn, they're paying him $2 million a year in salary. What was your reaction when you saw that, Alex? Smart move by the Dodgers. I mean, one, you're staying under that that luxury tax threshold, so you don't have to pay all that money. But two, you can put a good team around him. Like, it would not surprise me if they get uh, Yamamoto and Josh Hader by the end of this offseason. Now, because of this Shohei Otani. And frankly, I get Shohei Otani doing that. Because if you're him and you just lived through what you did with the Angels of being mediocre every single year when you were, like, Hall of Fame worthy in the first six, seven years of your career... Yeah, I'll go. I'll take $2 million a year at the front of this so you could go put a World Series contender together and still make the $700 million. Good for him. Can I be honest? Maybe this is just the jerk in me. When I saw this, my immediate reaction was, I, I want to know what Art Moreno said. I wonder if he was, we, we would have done that. You know, the Angels. I, I wonder what their reaction in the room was when they saw that that was all deferred because they love to avoid the luxury tax threshold in uh, Anaheim. But good for Otani, man. I mean, I, I love the idea that he said, you know what? I want all my money and what I'm worth, but I want to also help the team. And I want to go out there and I don't, I don't want to just win a championship in 10 years. I want to win multiple championships in L.A. So I love the way that this contract was structured and everything. So I I couldn't believe how much money was actually deferred because as we remembered about how the Cardinals, they count that into their yep. payroll. So essentially the Dodgers just spent. $682 million in free agency already this year, which is mm, chef's kiss. Just yeah, fantastic. Good for them. Good for them for doing this. Like, this is a smart way to go about it. They are actually investing in their team more than what baseball tends to allow, right? They are doing in LA now what the Mets were doing in New York, but they're doing it smarter. Like, they're just doing what the Mets tried to do better. So credit to the Dodgers. They're going to go out there and they're probably going to add significant pieces to their rotation as well. Yamamoto sweepstakes are heating up now. I I mean, it wouldn't surprise anybody if Yamamoto ended up on the Dodgers. It, it probably shouldn't. So that's where we're at with them. Uh, let's continue with our Major League Baseball offseason. Roundup! Let's get back to one of the stories that we talked about earlier today. Paul Goldschmidt, according to Derek Gould, is potentially under consideration for the Cardinals to have an extension in place this offseason. Alex, if you were the Cardinals, would you be looking to extend Paul Goldschmidt? No, only if he's willing to accept a lower than market value, which, as we talked about earlier, I'm thinking less than 20 mil. And if you're him, you're not doing that because the qualifying offers 20 mil. So, no, I would not. I, I frankly would let this play out because after an MVP season, it didn't live up to the expectation. And I'd be worried a dude who's going to be 38 at the end of this is not going to be the type of player that needs to be making 20 plus million dollars a year. So no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it either. I he had the lowest slugging percentage of his entire career last year. So there's a little, there's signs that show that it's starting to fall for Paul Goldschmidt. And as you mentioned earlier, if it falls, it falls quickly for guys once they get past really that age 35 season. We're talking about signing into a contract extension when he turns, what, 38? I, I'm out on it. I would go by year by year basis, but I'd even wait on that. I'd see what he looks like at least in the first half. That's where I'm at. I would wait. I would wait until this uh, this upcoming season. I want to find out what he where he's at. Is he still the player that he was in his MVP form. Hell, is he 70% of that player? And if he is by the All-Star break, go ahead and sign him to a one-year contract extension. 
I would be trying to go year by year at this point in time. He's going to be up in his upper 30s. The only guy that I can really point to and say, hey, that guy was the same dude in his late 30s as he was in his early 30s in recent memory is Nelson Cruz. It's the only hitter that I can use to describe in that way. If I can only find one of them, it's really hard for me to say you're going to be the next. He might be, or he might have an injury this year that we're not currently foreseeing, and then it ends up kind of sidelining him for a couple of weeks. He comes back. He's not quite the same. He looks like he's lost a little bit of his luster against fastballs, which, by the way, did seem to be the case at times last year. Trying to catch up with that. It's hard. It's This game is really, really hard. There's a reason why most guys decline significantly by the time they get into their late 30s. So that would be something that I would be very, very hesitant to do this offseason. Unless he gave me a discount, which he should not do. I would not be doing it this offseason. Maybe it'll be like Shohei Otani and say, just give me $2 million for the next three years. A couple more things as we get through our I Major mean, League Baseball offseason. Round up, right them, partner. Did you guys see the report about the Royals checking in with this uh, free agent pitching class? Yeah. yeah. Checking in. Hey, you interested in playing for Kansas City? No. Okay, thanks. So I have heard rumors that they're in on some of these guys in the middle tier. Jack Flaherty, Michael Waka. Marcus Stroman, Lucas Giolito, Seth Lugo. All five pitchers are guys that, according to multiple different reports, the Royals have at least checked in on. It's a hell of a rotation if you're the Royals. I think they'll sign one of them. Give me a reason from the Kansas City Chiefs and Royals expert. Uh, why would why would they want to sign in Kansas City? Why would they want to sign money? Yeah. I mean, purely money. Oh, good. Yeah. I'd go Jack, there. I'd move to Casey for money. How, if you're Jack Flaherty, how does that help you rejuvenate your career? Why did Jose Quintana sign a one-year contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates? Because he was guaranteed to be in their rotation and he was going to throw every five days. If you're Jack Flaherty, that's what you need. If you sign with a contender, you'll be what you were last year with Baltimore. By the end of the season, you're probably pitching out of the bullpen. So you want to get yourself back on track. This might be the team to do it with. Now, I would not tell him to do so. I would say go sign with a team like the Tampa Bay Rays or the Cleveland Guardians. Like Go to a team that doesn't quite have that number five starter in place right now and then just latch on with a really smart team that will get the best out of you. If I'm Jack Flaherty, I'm going to a place where they have brought a pitcher back from the dead, i.e. Michael Waka. And guess what? That team's not going to have three of their pitchers for the next, what, six months? I'd be At least I'm guaranteed a spot there because they need pitching help. Yeah, I... I get it from the Royals perspective because they have like no depth in the minor leagues and they don't have guys that can eat innings. So they probably need to overpay. Not only do they need to overpay to lure them there, they've also got to pay the losers tax as well because they've been a losing franchise since the World Series run. So it makes sense from the Royals perspective. Somebody's going to have to pitch for them next year. I just don't know, like, a Lugo who's drawing interest from competing teams. Would would you rather go there, or would you potentially... Uh, and look, I get it. Take the money back and go to Kansas City. I think they should be more in the market for those Jack Flaherty-type guys that are looking to bounce back. I, I like the idea of Marcus Stroman at that park. It's a, it's a massive outfield. really hard to hit home runs there. He's a guy that is on the ground more often than not. I think Marcus Stroman makes a ton of sense in Kansas City. Uh, but if I'm Marcus Stroman... 
I don't know that I necessarily want to sign with Kansas City. By the way, they did sign Will Smith. No, not that Will Smith yesterday. And Fuck Will Smith nerf. is a back-to-back World Series champion. So you know what that means. Ipso facto, carry the one. Will Smith Whoever and trades the Royals. for him will win a World Series. <laughs> Cardinals trading for Will Smith at the deadline. He will be a World Series winner here with the Cardinals. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters. But next, Alex, we do have some news on the Yakub Verana front. We'll get to it. And the lesson to be learned from the whole experience with Verona here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You have to bring some defense to the table. I mean, I, I said this recently, I'll say it again is if you just keep throwing Verona out there and he's not paying any attention to the defensive zone, how can you get on Jordan Cairo for not playing defense? Hey, if you let these guys free, could they score a few more goals? They could, but I don't think you're going to win uh, the, the, the team over in terms of how you want to play and how all guys are held accountable. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That was Jeremy Rutherford a few weeks ago talking about why the Blues needed to move on from the Jakub Vrana experience. And they have officially done so. Alex, according to reports nationally, uh, the Blues have officially now placed Jakub Vrana on waivers. This was the expectation yesterday. They ended up, it sounds like, trying to explore maybe some trades that were out there. Nothing came of that. So Vrana is going to be placed on waivers. I'd be surprised, honestly, if anybody claimed him at his current price. So probably end up signing somewhere else in free agency uh, for a minimum level contract somewhere. The Jakub Vrana experience, for all intents and purposes here in St. Louis, is over. Alex, what did you take from it? What did we learn about the Yakub Rana experience, or maybe big picture, what can the Blues learn from this that they should apply to future moves, either during the season or in the offseason? That one-sided players don't match this team's identity. And uh, you saw it with Mike Hoffman. You saw it towards the end of Vladimir Tarasenko's career. And then, of course, you just saw it with Yakub Verana. Uh, this... I know people say, oh, well, Craig Berube can't coach these types of players. I'm not sure anybody can coach these types of players unless you put him on a line that has a, a not a Vezina, um, a Selkie candidate of a centerman. Like, I'm thinking you put him in L.A. to play with Andre Kopitar. I'm thinking you put him in Florida to play with Barkov. Those types of players, yeah, Yakub Verona can play for because you've got somebody who is taking care of the other side of the ice, but it just has not worked out for this Blues team with guys that are in the lineup solely to bring offense. And Mike Hoffman was this way. They finally figured it out at the end of his time in St. Louis on the power play. But that's also the difference. Verona didn't figure it out on the power play. Verona wasn't shooting the puck. And if you're not shooting the puck, meaning if you're not shooting the puck and it's getting on goal, he was shooting the puck and it was going elsewhere, and you're not playing the other side of the ice, then you can't make it work here. This team, There are teams in the NHL that solely operate on individual prowess to where that player goes out there and dominates but those are superstar-esque players teams don't operate under the assumption of a guy like Yakub Verona is going to win us hockey games sure he was awesome in Detroit but Detroit was also very bad and needed somebody to score goals for them I, I, this team needs to have somebody who can play both sides of the ice and be responsible and is a 
a piece of the machine, not just the individual who thinks he can do it himself. Yeah, I, I think you're right on in terms of it, it. It's just so hard to make it work with guys that are just this one-sided. You know, you can get away with like a Vladimir Tarasenko who's a one-sided player, but can go through spurts where he plays decent defense. And there was like no spurt of decent defense from Jakub Vrana. And, and it's just so hard to make it work. It, I've mentioned this in the office. It, it reminds me of when you have that slugging left-handed hitter in baseball that just strikes out a ton to where there are stretches where you look at and go, man, this is great. This guy's hitting 40 bombs. Remember the Brandon Moss experience in this mm-hmm. first half. But then there are stretches where he's striking out and he's hitting like 150 and he's in the middle of your lineup and you're going, wait, what just happened? That's what this reminds me of is these kind of players, these one-sided, offensive-minded goals, goal scorers that probably are best suited for roles that are when they're on a team that's rebuilding. Like, look at Mike Hoffman. Mike Hoffman is suited perfectly. Why? Because they need somebody that's just going to go out there, that's going to skate around, play some pond hockey, and try and score goals. That's the kind of team that those guys belong on. When you're trying to win, and like the Blues are in a retool, but they still want to try and get to the playoffs. When you're in that spot, they just don't mesh in well with the team. So... I think the difference between a lot of the guys that we've talked about that could potentially work and what Yakub Rana was is you better be freaking elite at that thing that you do well if you're terrible at the other stuff. Yeah. Like, if you were a really good defensive-minded forward, but you never contribute offensively, you can't be what we saw last year what they were trying to make work on that top line with what's-his-face? Levo. Josh Levo. How could you forget him? He's not good enough defensively to be that guy where you're not contributing in any meaningful way offensively. It's just not good enough. I haven't checked in on him overseas right now. I wonder why. Playing in Germany. If you're going to be an offensive-minded player that gives you no defense, you can't be Akub Rana, who's been like the 10th best offensive player for you so far this year. He's done nothing on the power play. Man, if you're going to be that guy, you better be dynamic offensively. Like Jordan Cairo in previous seasons, for all of his faults defensively, he earned this contract. He did because of the puck going in the back of the net when he's out there on the ice. He does that. He put 37 goals up last year. If the Blues didn't give him this deal, you know who would have? About 25 other teams in the NHL because that is how skilled he is offensively. There's a reason Yakub Verana was probably made available to every team yesterday in the NHL for basically the Robert Bortuzzo deal. And every team in the NHL said, nah, we're good. We don't need to give an asset up for him. We don't want to take on that salary. We'll go ahead and see if he wants to sign with us for a veteran minimum deal on like a PTO, the way that somebody just did with the uh, w- your guy. Yes, he pulled Yarby uh, with yes, Pittsburgh. Yes, he pulled But here's Pittsburgh. the thing. He, he, he doesn't get that opportunity. If he clears waivers, he goes to the minors. And if he refuses to go to the minors, then if I'm not mistaken, the Blues are off the hook for that money because yeah, they could outright him. Yeah, but then they That's don't have to pay the money. Happen. Probably, unless they say like, if you go to the minors and figure it out, he did this with Detroit last year when he cleared waivers. He went to Grand Rapids and scored six goals in eleven games, and then of course they brought him back to try and build the value back up and traded him at the deadline. So, but. But that's like that's the thing right now is this 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 should be one of those those eye opening moments for Verona. It's like man, in back to back years, I've been How put did, through he, waivers. He didn't, le- he didn't learn his lesson. He, no, we know who he he's is. He's not he going to learn his is. lesson. But but see the part for me to where and I know there's coming in on the air comfort service text line because I've got the tweets as well. Well, Craig Brew, we can't coach these types of players. I, I don't see other players like this that work on other teams. Like Alex DeBrinkett can be a perfect example. You brought him up in the office. Mm-hmm. Guys, he didn't work in Ottawa. He was with Ottawa last year and didn't live up to those expectations. Now he's he's producing with Detroit, but I don't know if you looked, but Detroit's been in like a four-game losing streak, and he was a minus seven in the last three games. If you're not scoring, 
you're hurting your team. Maybe. I, I mean, if you're scoring the way that Debrinket is, like he's a plus two on the ice so far this year. This version of Alex Debrinket, you can win with. You the, did. the problem is they're they're not a very good team around him right now. Well, They've got but, a lot of other issues. But that also goes back to to my point of you got to have people around him. He's been playing with Dylan Larkin, sure. and Dylan Larkin is a good two way forward. Like you've got to have the proper pieces for these types of players. And Verona just never meshed well with any of the guys that the Blues had. And, and like it was a relate a relationship, quote unquote. That was just destined to fail because what was the goal for the Blues this season coming into it? <laughs> it was it was okay. We need to get back to playing a good defensive style of hockey, and we're going to change our scheme from man to man and trying to get quickly up the ice in this kind of pond hockey style s rush team. To we're going to go to this zone defense, and we are basically just going to play slugfest hockey. That never was going to fit into Verona's game because he doesn't want to play defense, so he's not going to fit into a team that's focusing on defense. And if you're not a rush team, Verona's not going to have much success because he wants to get out on the rush. Now, maybe he could have thrived on the power play, but as we saw, it just didn't work on the power play. So then you're back to the same conversation that BK mentioned of, okay, well, if you're like the 10th best guy offensively and you're by far the worst guy defensively, It's just not going to work out. This was just destined to fail when they committed to, we are going to become a defensive hockey team. Blues going back to an old lineup that they used last year. They're going to have Pavel Buchnevich back at center. That is one of the corresponding moves, so to speak. Her Verana being placed on waivers, him not being in the lineup for the Blues, of course, tonight. And by the way, we've got your chance right now. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to score a pair of tickets to see the Blues game this Saturday against the Dallas Stars at Enterprise Center, 314-399-9646 is your text line to do so. If you know the answer to this question and your texture number 101, you're getting that pair of tickets to see the Blues versus the Stars. The question is, earlier today, Alex, we talked about what percentage of men believe that they could successfully land a plane in a crash landing scenario. What was that percentage? If you can give us the correct percentage at 314-399-9646, you are going home with a pair of tickets to see Blues versus Stars on December 16th. That is this Saturday at Enterprise Center. Coming up next, we're getting into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. By the way, I went back and did the math because we had a lot of people calling out Alex. (gasps) My pearls. About whether or not he was right. (laughs) That was well played. On the Blues being able to make it work. If they had just basically kept the the gang together uh, from 2020. So that means keeping Ryan O'Reilly around, keeping David Perron around, keeping uh, Pareko and Petro and Wallman answer is yes and in fact in 2020 the first year where they kind of broke the band up uh, they would have had an extra about seven million dollars to be able to go out and play with if they wanted to add krug into this mix they could have still done that if they wanted to add tanev they could have done that if they wanted to go make a trade they could have done that there was not only the possibility of making it work they could have made it work and then some uh, via the free agent market how dare somebody question my research my pearls all right let's get into some nfl quick hitters Guys, much of the conversation following the Chiefs and Bills game has been centered on the Chiefs. Justifiably so. They stink. They're Uh, terrible. They don't don't care about any kind of 
uh, little details, and they think that it's the ref's problem that they continue to screw these things up, even though their receivers have lost them directly four games this year by screwing something up on the last drive of the game. Neither here nor there. That sounded personal. What did that win mean for the Bills, Alex? Did it change at all the way that you view them in the AFC playoff? I, I mean, it doesn't change the way I view them because I still believe that they're a team that can, you know, just blow it up at the worst timing ever. Thanks a lot to just that offense in general, whether you want to blame Josh Allen or anybody else. But if I'm Buffalo, it tells me that the AFC is wide open and I have an opportunity to capitalize on this because you just beat the team that everybody still believed was a Super Bowl contender and you were the better team in that game despite everyone complaining about the officiating there. Right now, there's one team that's the juggernaut in the AFC and it's Baltimore. So if I'm Buffalo, I look at that as, well, everybody's got a shot in one game, as T-Bone likes to say. Uh, this is a victory that proves, yeah, we could be in this playoff conversation. It didn't do much for me, honestly. Oh, okay. The only thing really? it confirmed for me was, okay, they're still in the hunt because they now f- blend into that big mix of seven and six teams. Didn't do anything for me. I don't trust Kansas City. I kind of expected them to lose a game when Pacheco was out. Um, I, I look at Buffalo, and they remind me so much of what the Toronto Blue Jays were this year going into the playoffs, where like if Buffalo gets in, it's going to be like, whoa. Padres. That's the team that can go on a run. And I, and I looked at them the whole time and went, okay, but they haven't proven that they could do that all year long. Padres another good example. They're paper tigers. And maybe they get in, they're getting right back out because they're not playing consistent enough football for me. They've got the weapons to do it, but they just cannot piece it together. So for me, it didn't really do much. Yeah, I think they're the, the Padres, honestly. I, I think that they are the team that if they get in, Guys, I think a lot of teams in the National League would have been afraid of the Padres if they got into the postseason. If the Bills get into the postseason, they could totally go on a run. And this has less to do for me with the Bills and more to do with the AFC playoff field. I don't trust the Dolphins. I don't trust the Ravens. I certainly don't trust the Jaguars defense. That unit stinks. And the Chiefs have not made us trust them at all at any step so far this season. So can the Bills go on a run? Yeah. And they needed that game so badly. That was the starting point. The next one is this weekend. And according to Las Vegas, they are a favorite right now at home against the Dallas Cowboys. That is shocking to me. They will be favored, I would guess, in each of their next three games, which will put them at 10 wins going into the final weekend of the season when they travel to Miami to play the Dolphins for a game that very well could end up determining the outcome of that division. So I think it changes a lot because going into that game, I thought they were going to be done for the postseason. And if they had lost, I think we all would have been writing their eulogy today. Alex would have been reading it for us. Instead, I'm talking about them as a potential team that can make it out of the AFC. All right, next thing up here as we go through some NFL quick hitters. If you could handpick the three AFC playoff teams for entertainment purposes that end up making it in via the wild card. Who would you choose? Let's operate under the assumption here that the Dolphins, Ravens, Jaguars, and Chiefs end up winning their respective divisions as they are currently doing so. Um, Buffalo would be one. Cleveland would be one. Ooh, Cleveland is interesting. And I think I... W- I, I don't know who this last one is because honestly, they're all terrible. The Colts are boring as all hell to me. Texans without... Um, Tank Dell, they're not as interesting to me. God, I don't want to see the Steelers or Bengals. I, oh, really? I guess it's the damn Broncos just because yeah. of watching. Talk about boring. Yeah, yeah. just Dink because of dunk. watching Russell Wilson. But it's like it's the Broncos and Jets, and I don't know if the Jets have a realistic shot. So, yeah, it would probably be whoever the hell you want to throw in at the end. So I agree with the Bills because they are a roller coaster of emotion. Um, 
I actually kind of do agree on the Browns. I, watch Joe Flacco hit the fountain. It's youth, fun, man. hilarious. It's hilarious. It's fun. He's been, what, a top 15 quarterback since returning? Yeah. And watching he, him outplay the other team on the other side guys, is just funny. Think of this. He's thrown for 300 passing yards more times this year than Deshaun Watson has. Oh, my God. God. What the hell? Way to go, Cleveland. So, Dude, I'm going to the Browns. former Cleveland quarterbacks. So, the current one, Joe Flacco. And Baker Mayfield are both better than Deshaun Watson. Yeah. All you needed Either to do, Cleveland, was just I, call Joe Flacco and say, hey, you want to come out of retirement? And, and I keep all your picks. He was in your locker room last oh, year. You got, you got Zach Wilson. Yeah. Did you see I, Wilson put up 30? I think the Jets would be in the playoffs right now if they had Joe Flacco instead of what they've been trotting out there every week at quarterback. And Aaron well, Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers would have had, line would have killed our bad. boy Joe Flacco. And Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have had to have a miraculous I, healing. Yeah. I, I think my 13. Yeah, could have taken his time. Mm. Tough. My my third team would be, I think, the Cincinnati Bengals That's because I, they've got the weapons offensively. Browning actually looks pretty competent, and the defense is still pretty good, and, and they scheme things up very well on the defensive side of the ball. They probably would be my third team, but you're right. It is like a garbage can yeah. just flying down. That team's losing in the first round anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Uh, I would go Houston, Cincinnati, Buffalo. Those would be my three. Houston over Cleveland? Mm-hmm. I, I just want to see CJ Shroud, man, if, man. But if they would have had Tank Dell, I would have been all aboard that train. But now Nico Collins is still hurt. Like, I don't want to see CJ Stroud throw to and Noah he's Brown. Too. He's got the concussion. Yeah. So I I don't think they're getting in. I, if I had to guess on who, like, it's that's who we want to Colts. see. Who I think will actually get in? Dude, I have no idea. I think idea. it's the Colts, Bills, and Browns. I think those are the teams that are going to get in. That and feels I, right. God, I don't yeah. want to see the Colts in the playoffs. I haven't looked at the Colts' schedule down the stretch. Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Vegas, and Houston. Whew. Yeah, you're winning all of those. Um, Houston has the Titans twice, Cleveland once, and Indy. That Indy game probably is for a playoff spot. Houston versus Indy oh, the final God. week of the season. Oh, that's probably our Sunday night game. Yep. What a Ooh. terrible yeah, game. Yeah, because nobody else will determine their, their yeah. fate. It'll just be the two of them playing against each other. Meanwhile, the entire... Browns have Chicago, Houston, the Jets, and the Bengals. Bengals-Browns could be for a playoff spot as well. Meanwhile, the, the NFC just sitting back and laughing at all of these players. I mean, like, yeah, okay, see you in the Super Bowl. The, uh, the 49ers, Cowboys, and if you want to throw them in there, Eagles are in a really good spot right now. All right, final thing here. We're through 13 games of the season for every team in the NFL. You guys got an MVP that you've uh, settled on at this point? Mine was Do still you have be- one person that you think has been the clear-cut MVP of the league? Mine's Dak. I, I, I don't think there's anybody been better than Dak, and I know the Brock Purdy argument, but I stand by what I say. I, I think he's got way more weapons to make himself look great compared to what Dak does. And CeeDee Lamb's been on a tear, but Brandon Cooks has been great. Michael Gallup has been great. They've been using a backup running back, and his offensive line has been in shambles all season. Dak's my MVP. I mean, I would probably vote for Tyreek Hill, but I know it's a quarterback award. I would probably go with Dak as well. I, I just think Purdy's too much of, and I think it's going to hurt him in voting. I, I think he's too much of a system quarterback. And I think you saw that during that three-game losing he's streak when they were missing so their pieces. I get it, but I, I just think he's more like Dak. Who's his second-best wide receiver? Brandon Cooks. Okay. Like, well, we didn't do this. Fine. We didn't do this for Mahomes when he had Tyreek and Travis Kelsey. He won the MVP. True. He was but deserving of it. There's even better weapons in San Francisco. And were there were there people behind da- or Patrick Mahomes that had a chance? Because that's the other part. Like Patrick Mahomes, even with those weapons, was clear cut better than everybody right. else. Yeah. Dak and Brock, if they're tied with with their competition, 
I give the slight edge to Dak Prescott. I agree with you guys. I would also give it. I mean, I, I agree with T-Bone, actually. I would give it to Tyreek Hill. Oh, I think yeah, we saw last for night sure. when Tyreek was out of a game. That Dolphins offense is not very good yeah. without him out there. If Tyreek Hill but, gets it, can C.D. Lamb be in that conversation? Because you know no. teams are double covering this guy, and he's still finding ways to score touchdowns. Yeah, he's been really good. Tyreek is putting up historically great numbers. Tyreek Hill might have the best season I've ever seen by a wide yeah. receiver. He and was he's on pace. 300 yards ahead of C.D. Lamb. So, no, I, I couldn't put C.D. Lamb. He was on pace. I don't know how this was affected after last night. He was on pace to beat Calvin Johnson's single season. He's now on pace record. for 2,000 yards, almost that would exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I would put him as the MVP, but if you're not going to give it to a non-quarterback, I would go Dak Prescott as of today. Hey, join Chris Kerber in 101 ESPN this Sunday at the new Chicken and Pickle. I'll be right by me, my neck of the woods, out in St. Charles. Sunday is the first pickleball tournament ever at the new Chicken and Pickle location, and it's an ugly sweater tournament. Plus, plenty more happening at their new facility, which includes 11 pickleball courts, a game yard, Wow, game yard. A rooftop bar and much more. You can check it all. I thought it said a gnome yard. I was like, wait, T-Bone's going? You can check it all out this Sunday with Chris Kerber, who will be at Chicken and Pickle from 11 to 1 out in St. Charles. More info available at 101ESPN.com. Can't confirm it is not a gnome yard. T-Bone will not be there, but Chris Kerber certainly will. Could you imagine a gnome in an ugly sweater? T-Bone, you should capitalize on that. Next week? You going to wear an ugly sweater next week, man? I hate you guys. Coming up next, the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with the Daily Rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If you were listening earlier, you know we had an opportunity for you to win a couple of tickets to see the Blues versus the Stars this weekend. You will continue to have those each of the next couple of days, both here on BK and Ferrario and the other shows throughout the week. Jack and Fitton won the Blues tickets earlier today. And speaking of Jack, Jack in the Box dropped some food. <laughs> off for us guys and they're selling two dollar air fresheners to benefit uh shriners children's hospital hell yeah bro all the way till december 31st so if you know one thing i love it's helping out shriners children's hospital in all and all seriousness a, really good cause yeah. awesome thing that they're doing two bucks is all two it, bucks two air bucks freshener till december air 31st and then you get those uh sourdough jacks what's Ooh, your buddy. go-to at uh jack in the box so it's the tacos and then the sourdough jacks. I, i'm just taco guy That's just what exclusively I am. go there just get the tacos is I'm it good. weird too that i only eat ranch dressing from jack in the box it's not weird because it's their buttermilk ranch dressing there is nobody that competes with their ranch jack dressing. in the box at 2 a.m on a random i don't know thursday night best thing i got through that, high school and lunch. college off of probably were the reason i am who i am thanks to jack in the box Wow. I don't know if I should Are say you thanks or me? screw you. Everybody, <laughs> everybody is saying said. thanks for that one.
Alex, there is a little bit of news in the college football world. There is a certain segment of Mizzou fans that are certainly excited about this. BK. Caden uh, <laughs> Green is an up. offensive lineman from Kansas City. Oh! If you remember last year, there were two big-time offensive line recruits, Logan Reichert, who they took a dump truck to see. Uh, that was the one where it was Eli Drinkwitz with the dump truck outside. He went there to see him and then went Obviously, over to Lee Summit North work. to see Caden Green, an offensive lineman uh, from Oklahoma. Reichert is at Mizzou Did already. he take the dump truck to... Sure did. He drove oh, okay. it all the way to Columbia. Oh, here he comes. The other one took its talents down to Oklahoma, where he was playing for the Sooners this past year. He is unbelievable, like legitimately NFL talent right now today as a true freshman. He has entered the transfer portal. He will be the number one target for Mizzou, no question about it. I'm terrified that, like, Oregon is going to come in and get him because their coach uh, is previously in Kansas City. He was a high school coach there. Mizzou needs this guy. This is like not to the same level as Luther Burden, like second tier. This would be every bit as big as getting Williams Winery. That's how big of a get this could potentially be for Mizzou. I'll say it again. And I say it all the time. Suck it, T-Bone. Yeah, you love. We keep it. our guys in state. I, it, getting him to come back to Mizzou would be absolutely incredible. <laughs> oh, All right, guy. before we get out of here, we got to tell you, speaking of the holiday spirit, join in by helping out 101 ESPN supporting Operation Food Search throughout the month of December. We have partnered with STL Shirt Company to offer a special 101 ESPN online merch store this month. You've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, so much more. We've even brought back some of your favorite designs, including the Dunctionary shirt, Be Patient shirts, and Jamie Rivers and BT jerseys. All of that is available to you over at 101ESPN.com. It's all helping out. Uh, Operation Food Search. So do that today. It's all powered by McBride Homes. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Tonight, Blues versus the Red Wings. Pre-game with Alex starting at 5.30. Alex, you think the Blues get back on track in this one? I do. Pavel Buchnevich hat, hat trick? And then, center, and then the third position, goal he scores, boom, he looks at a camera and he goes to BK. I'm the centerman now. Yeah, I like it. I That's hope he, he does. does. I hope he wins 70% of his faceoffs, has a f- hat trick, maybe three oh, man. three assists on the power play. I'm going to well. say this great. right now. If Booch scores and they win, I'm making the show open tomorrow. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Find out if Alex is making the show <laughs> oh, open. <laughs> Fast Lane's coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.